across the stars to save the universe from the monster minds. Jace searches for his father to unite the magic root and lead his lightning league to victory over the changing form of Sawboss. Wheeled warriors explode into battle. Lightning strikes. There's a Alright everybody, welcome to Back in Tunes. I'm your host Michael and my co-host as always. What's up Jacob? It's Jacob. <laughs> I feel like we should get you a theme song whenever. It's Jacob, like have a chorus going, a little disco theme. <laughs> Who else but Jacob? <laughs> Alright, so Yeah, this, that would work. This I don't know, episode... like a, maybe sing, I don't know, I'm thinking of a, as far as the theme song goes, I don't know, maybe something a little bit heavy metal or something more like a... Uh, Springtime for Hitler, that style. Springtime for Hitler. You know what? Doing a rap song is too obvious. Let's go a little funky in here. Let's have like a shaft theme. Smooth, yet clumsy. Tripping over his pants. Oh, yeah. Normally, we... Okay, so for a couple months there, we were doing like these really elaborate episodes with sketches, fake commercials, you know, uh, you know, just trying to get really elaborate with it. And frankly, we both work retail. It's December. We're both slammed, exhausted. So this is the episode where we finally get around to doing the uh, listener requests. So this one, uh, we are doing a double feature of JC and the Wheeled Warriors and Spiral Zone. Thank you, everybody, for your requests. I think we almost have all of them out of the way. We did Akira, Star Blazers. Uh, we have these two, and I think there's one more. I think it's a... I gotta remember the damn name of it. It's like Masupalami or something like that. It was on Disney. I gotta look it up. Masupalami. Sounds delicious. Yeah, it's 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 wonderful with crackers. And and cheese too, right? I mean, you can't go wrong with cheese and crackers. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, it's, it always has to be cheese and crackers, because otherwise it's just... Uh, this one, we are going to start off with JC and the Wheeled Warriors. Actually, what's funny is we talked about doing JC and the Wheeled Warriors, uh, what, like a year and a half ago? Maybe two years ago, right at the beginning of the show, and then a Spiral Zone I checked out almost at the same time. So we've been putting these cartoons off for a while. So I'm finally glad we're able to do them. Uh, oh, I know. What did you think of JC and the Wheel Warriors? I don't know. It gave me an appetite for vegetables, really. <laughs> and I'm watching it. I, I mean, it, it was. I thought it was like pretty inventive and fun. But I was like, oh, it just sticks the. I mean, I don't know if kids were able to hold on to it as like long as possible because. You know, they'd be thinking that these wheeled warriors, they, like, kind of transform into, you know, like, mega robots or something, but no. This is but, what, like I said, it was pretty fun and inventive. I was like, oh, they could do more with the, like, car stuff. Yeah, well, the one thing that bugged me about it is the toys. There are some cartoons that were based on toys, and a lot of them had room to move. The G.I. Joe ones didn't look 100% like the toys. Transformers, you know, they had room to move. This one looks just almost precisely like the way the toy was designed, which makes it look kind of silly when they do that. Oh, yeah, that's right. There was. I think I actually saw, like, after I watched that episode, there's something that queued up, and all of a sudden it was a uh, toy commercial for the Wheeled Warriors. I was like, huh, it does look almost exactly like the cartoon. It's almost as if it was laser printed. Yeah. But they didn't have that. And someone time traveled. No, this is precisely didn't... right where I was watching cartoons heavily. But I never watched this one. I don't know if it was up against something else that I was watching, but I have never seen a single episode, and it really surprised me because I was eight, and this seems like the kind of thing that would have been definitely in my wheelhouse. Oh, okay. So, 
Oh, God. I don't think I even had a wheelhouse. I just had a huge Tupperware thing full of toys. That's all I had. Yeah. Uh, this was created by J. Michael Straczynski. That name should sound familiar to you because he has done a ton of cartoons, especially He-Man. Uh, he's one of the primary writers on the He-Man world, but he's also creator of Babylon 5 and a, a cult show that I loved on Showtime with uh, Jason, not Jason Priestley, Luke Perry called Jeremiah and Sean Astin was in it as well. Oh, that's right. I remember, I definitely remember uh, Jeremiah. And he was a heavy writer on, uh, was it Rising Stars? It was a fantastic uh, comic book that he wrote for a few years, but for the most part he does TV. He's now working on that, uh, the Wachowski Brothers show, the Sense 8 on Netflix. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he's, he, he dabbles in pretty much everything. Cartoons, TV shows, movies, comics. Real good writer. This this feels kind of beneath him, though. This feels like it was a, a just-for-the-paycheck kind of show. Not a huge fan of it. Uh, it's interesting, but I don't think, you know, more than a couple episodes, I'm fine. Yeah, it was. And plus, it was. I guess it was trying to show, you know, I guess the heroes kind of represented more industry than nature. And I guess when nature fights back, they got to treat them like they're antagonists. I'm like, God, that's so mean. Explain no. It. Yeah, explain Considering it what's happened. going on right now. It shouldn't be the opposite. Shouldn't the villains be the plant-oriented ones, you know, of the earth instead of the... I feel like it's a promotion for, like, corporations and say, oh, screw nature. And industrialization. Yeah. <laughs> I, it, it's that, fucked that up. It does. It certainly did. That's what I thought, that's what I thought too. I'm like, uh, But I was still hungry. I needed to have some, like... I needed to have some like kale and like avocado and tomatoes. I needed to make like a little salad. I was I was hungry for some vegetables Shit, I'm hungry. and I some greens. Uh, when we're done with this episode, I have to eat dinner. <laughs> Indeed. I don't know. Yeah, make up some. Just make up some to make some turnips and some beets. It's really healthy for you. I can't tell if you're. Thank you for that little health lesson, Droopy. Yeah, it's like, sometimes you talk like droopy, it's like you're trying to hold back gravy that's in your lower lip. It's just like, I have some delicious gravy. Who has the biscuits? I don't want to drool all over the place. You know what? That makes me mad when people don't clean up that themselves. I just wish, ugh, there are times where I just wish I still had my teeth and I could just make them not have any kind of children, because then they'd just be real little devils. Whoa. This is during a period where a lot of cartoons were adapted to film. Of course, uh, our favorite being the Transformers movie. Uh, there was Brave Star, there's G.I. Joe, My Little Pony, uh, there was the She-Ra movie. There's a bunch of these. They all failed, except for the Care Bears movies. But at the time, the, uh, the company that made the toys and Marvel had assumed that J.C. and the World Warriors was going to be huge. The toys did not sell whatsoever, so... The cartoon was canceled, but there was a movie script written. It just obviously never went into production. Or it was turned into something else completely. Yeah, probably. Who knows? And they just like just change out some of the characters, keep the plot. Turned into Star Chaser, Legend of Orin. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, yeah. it's funny back in the, back in the day, you could sell an entire season of sixty-five episodes. That's one season, sixty-five episodes. Sell it into syndication. Before the first episode even airs, what if it sucks total donkey ass and nobody watches it? You got like 60 more episodes just rotting, just trying to fill airtime. Oh, God, yes, I know. I mean, geez, it's like, I mean, before you even watch the episode, you're like, you have to think to yourself, wait, what if it sucks? Yeah. Just like at the end of Fanboys when they go to see episode one and they ask the same question right at the end of the movie. <laughs> now, this was a Canadian oh, production, God. or, well, French Canadian production, I believe. 
Uh, so I'll, usually we talk about the voice cast. I don't recognize any of these names. Not a single one. I don't even recognize any of the voices either. And also, I mean, most of the cartoons like from the from that decade, I wouldn't be surprised. They're all pretty. A lot of them are Canadian. Yeah. A lot of the top quality ones. Oh gosh, how we've all been lied to. Like you think, you know, they air in America first, but are they from America? No, they're Canadian. Yeah. Which just shows, which just shows you something. We should move to Canada. That's it. That's what it shows us. <laughs> so Mill Creek Entertainment has released a chunk of this show on DVD, and they're a budget line kind of company. So you should probably get them pretty cheap. Also, Shout Factory has done it, but also only the first chunk of the first season. So nobody has released the full thing. So I say if you can find it on YouTube, watch it. Screw them. They're not going to release the whole thing. That's their problem. <laughs> probably, yeah. Power that, to the yeah, people. Can... Make the cartoons available. Pretty please. I'm down on my knees, darling. Please, save it. Take me back. <laughs> give, me, give me some love. Give me some love. Give me some love. Give me some loving. Give me some McLovin. McLovin. Yeah, you know what? There's really nothing else I can say about this. Uh, Deke Entertainment, we've discussed them many times. They do a lot of good stuff. Uh, a lot of people kind of look down on Deke as uh, kind of a, a third-rate company. But they, they I mean, look at uh, Inspector Gadget, probably the most famous title. I mean, that right alone is a, a great thing. Oh, yeah. Honestly, I thought they've had a lot of successes and you know, helping hands in a lot of the cartoons I grew up watching. But yeah, this one I just really I'm not I'm not I, I really couldn't get into it. Maybe some people could. Personally, I don't recommend it. Yeah, I got to pass on this. Tis one all. Too. I I feel I I apologize to the person who requested this. You love it, you love it. There's stuff that we love that I'm sure somebody else dislikes. So I'm not saying don't watch this. Check it out for yourself. Make your own opinion. But for me, yeah, I couldn't really get into it. No, it's like you actually have to watch and sit through the episode first. Yeah. You can't just bash them by saying, "Oh, it sucks." I'm like, "You've never even seen it." You're, you're just seeing, like how you ever hear about a movie and everybody's like, "This is complete shit." Oh, this is the worst thing ever. You never hear anything really good about it, and then one day you just like out of curiosity, you check it out, and you're like, "Oh, well, actually, that was pretty good. I, I really like that." I have that with a lot of movies I, or TV shows. God, I mean, a lot of people are saying that for movies that haven't even come out yet. Yeah, well, that's it's like, oh, it's gonna suck. I don't like their costume. Yeah. I'm like, good. Why don't you keep crying? Why don't you just sit at home and cry and use your tears as lubricant huh. and you jerk off, <laughs> you asshole. That's right. You know what? Honestly, I'll swim in. I'll I will swim in an ocean of your tears. Backstroke, sword stroke, dolphin jump. Ho ho! I'll be swimming. I'll be swimming in your tears of sadness while I'm joyous and happy. <laughs> All right, we're gonna take a brief break and come back with Spiral Zone. second cartoon for the fan request episode is Spiral Zone, one that I've been hemming and hawing about, because uh, I want to watch more episodes, but I just never have the time to really get into these. Uh, this one's been delayed, like, for years. Ugh, it's ridiculous how long I've taken to get around to this, but I actually really enjoy this one. Even though it's clear this is all, like, all mar uh, like a marketing design t cartoon, you know? It's not creator-designed. It's definitely a bunch of guys in an office going, okay, so the toy needs this, the cartoon has to have that, you know, that kind of thing going. Yeah, bro. That's how it is, man. That's right. Let's get this shit going. Let's do it. 
I don't know. I, I did get more of a kick out of this, but I hated the fucking theme song. Yeah. I thought it was a piece of shit. <laughs> I kind of like it. But it's it's clearly like, it's not a song, it's like a descriptive. It's It feels like someone write, it, they wrote it in a book, and they just like decided to narrate it to music. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, more. it's just musical narration, that's all it is. And this is uh, this is another one of those syndicated cartoons for sixty five episodes. I did not watch this. I never even heard of this until one day I was just kind of perusing through and I found it. I was like, "Oh, what's this?" And you know, luckily, thank God, there's some people out there who just save every cartoon on VHS and loaded it up to YouTube before uh, it was lost forever. Oh, I know. Yeah, there have been some plenty of cartoons. Heck, you didn't even know of uh, Peter Pan and the Pirates until like you know I, brought, I had to bring it to your attention. Well, no, and then we did that one. The most, I think the uh, the most obscure cartoon that we have ever done was that Sky Surfer Strike Force, because that was definitely after oh, I yeah. pretty much stopped watching cartoons, and I was like, what are you talking about? And then we, we did that. Well, there is the legendary Battletoads episode that we did that uh, we threw away, which now I kind of regret, because I feel like us losing our shit over the worst cartoon ever <laughs> would have been funny. <laughs> I don't know, we can always try it again, Michael, but oh god, I'm going to now, but I'm now, gonna have to have something. We know how bad it is now, so it won't be a surprise. This is the episode, if nobody knows, we've talked about this a couple times, but we tried doing the Battletoads pilot episode uh, really early. I think that's like, we did it in the first month of the podcast, and it's a 22-minute cartoon. I think it was around the 12th minute that we just started screaming fuck at the computer and just like insulting everybody involved. And I think I, I was I was weeping, and uh, you were just like flipping it off and trying to pee on the computer, and I was trying to stop you, and uh, and, and then it just descended into us just quitting, just walking away. Good God, no, that was fucking horrible. <laughs> I do remember trying to find the address of the creator and trying to kill him. Yes, I do remember this. I <laughs> know uh, we have yeah, sent a Terminator back in time to prevent him from ever making that cartoon. Yeah, the game is fun. It's hard <laughs> as hell. The game is fun though, but that cartoon is shit. This cartoon, oh my on the other hand, is not uh, Spyro Zone. Um, I think I enjoyed it more than you did. It's a lot of fun, in my opinion. I thought it was funny that it was produced by Kushner and Locke, the guys that did the Mortal Kombat movie. Oh, yeah, no, don't get me wrong. I, I mean, I liked the cartoon, too. I, like I said, I just hated the theme song. I thought it was stupid. Yeah. I mean, from the, the title, like, the title sequence did kind of give gave me kind of a, uh, basically, like a futuristic kind of post-apocalyptic, setting where you know the villains had control oh that's i mean weird. that's what i gave that's what i thought of at first no i just looked here i didn't know this was also created by j michael straczynski but he did it under a different name uh fetz gray which is one of the worst names in history fetz gray yeah i was like fetz grave i'm like whoa dude that's pretty dark and ominous <laughs> it's awesome but the, no uh, this is set in the future 2007 I love I love it when we get, we get past that point. I, I think putting a year in a movie is a really bad idea unless it's really really like uh, Star Trek is so far away that it won't really matter. But when you do stuff like that, like 1997, well, it's it's uh, it's 1993 now. Did, uh, did well? No, you guys didn't think this out at all. <laughs> exactly. I'm like I don't see any flying cars. I don't see any of that. What makes you think our technology would progress like that? Yeah, at this rate, I just prefer if they say the distant future or the not too distant future. There, it's always relative to what year you're in. Oh, exactly. I mean, hell, look at Blade Runner. We're we're nowhere near that crap. No, thank God. Well, if you lived in Oregon, you might think so because it rains that much, and uh, Portland's starting to get pretty packed. 
Oh wow. The, oh uh, man. Yeah, but I did get I did definitely have a lot of fun watching this cartoon. I was like, you yeah, know, very bright, very shiny, very futuristic. I like that. I always usually I usually usually go for that kind of style when it comes to talking about the future. But at the same time, it was totally like you know puffy eighties. <laughs> oh, oh, totally. It uh, it kind of reminds me of uh shit. What's it called? Um, not in humanoids. Uh, centurions in their design. There's a lot of like, oh, that's clearly meant for a toy. Yeah, I know. Like you said, it was like all a big marketing. Yeah. <laughs> it's all just like marketing. It's all you know, trying to get their toys out there, trying to get that product, that style. Kind of show it all off. Oh, you know what? I forgot. Yeah, we almost did this too back in May. We were all crazy about the new Mad Max movie. And we're like, we got to do a post-apocalyptic cartoon. And we were going to do this one. We end up doing, what was it? Uh, um, Fist of the North Fist Star. Fist of the North Star. Something else. But, uh, we sh- we, yeah, I wish we had done this earlier. Because um, I just keep putting it off, so I'm glad we didn't uh, delay it anymore. These, I don't believe, are on DVD. Uh, there's a lot of bootlegs through SpiralZone.com, but I don't think that's an official company. The problem, Probably not. Yep. The, yeah, the problem is is that Tonka went out of business. They're the ones who kind of ran this. And then I think Hasbro owns Tonka now, and they don't give a shit about anything they really bought from Tonka. I think they just wanted to shut Tonka down. I know. Tonka, I think for me, was just like more of the construction toys and little kitty toys. But uh, yeah, no. Hasbro, oh gosh. Hasbro is like the toy version of Disney almost. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Have you seen what they're doing with the new G.I. Joe movie? Um... Not really, not yet, no. So, uh, clearly, fans of uh, G.I. Joe are probably frustrated. We get a new Transformers movie every two years, but uh, G.I. Joe, it seems to be four or five years, and, and we haven't even heard anything about the script or the production of the new one. And they just announced last week that they signed a deal with Hasbro, uh, Paramount did, to make G.I. Joe a bigger universe. So this next movie is going to find a way of adding other toy lines to its world. So it's going to eventually include... Micronauts, Mask, Rom. Now, if you know Rom, you are a super nerd. This is one of my favorite characters of all time. One of the worst toys in history, but uh, it's an excellent comic book from Marvel that will be added to the G.I. Joe universe. And uh, the last one is um, Hell's Buckets. I can't remember the name of it. It was another big one, though. Oh. I'll look it up. Another big one. Okay. What's it? Okay. Yes, do tell. Uh, Or if not, give me some clues. Maybe I can help. Does it involve soldiers? Does it involve robots? Uh, it involves uh, a sandwich, and an elf with an attitude, um, two turntables and a microphone, and my aunt Ethel. Ah. <laughs> uh, oh god! It was a very oh, popular geez. cartoon. I just can't remember. Uh, uh, I'll look it up. I got it here. It's um, Visionaries. Visionaries is the other one, which a lot of these—they're going to have to really try hard to fit these in. Mask makes sense. The other one's not so much. Yeah, pretty much. I don't know. Yeah. Well, who knows? It's like they're trying to compete with, you know, Marvel and how they're expanding, yeah. making their own cinematic universe. And then you got DC doing their thing, and now Hasbro wants to do something with theirs. But honestly, uh, it could do away with Transformers. I mean, especially with Michael Bay at the helm. I'm so sick of the human, you know, of the human perspective. Oh, yeah. But I mean, but I will say this like about Spiral Zone. I like how it's just like, you know, strictly human. Not They don't have to bring in some any robots. Or at least none that I can remember. The uh, the Spirozone toys, they came with a special audio cassette. Since I never collected Spirozone toys, I never even heard of it until now, uh, you know, before we started doing the show. Uh, I want to know what's on those tapes. I want to know. What is it? What is there a story on the tapes? Is there, is there weird, like, uh, do you hear, like, someone getting murdered in the background? Is it a snuff tape? What's going on? Does anybody know? 
No, it's all about drinking. It's all about drinking your Ovaltine, just like oh, little Orphan Annie. Shit. All right, that sucks. No, no, it's actually it's it's actually about consuming, you know, beer. No, that's all it is. Spiral that's what it is. That's what it's about. Was, that's the key to happiness. That, I was hoping that it was about like those little spiral deli sandwiches that I love so much. I was like, go to the oh. deli, get ham, turkey. You know, play them backwards. You're good. <laughs> then leave it on the porch outside your house. <laughs> I'm hungry. The, I want to eat it. The voice cast is, <laughs> uh, is your like your typical guys. If we had a cartoon without Frank Welker, it's a weird episode because if he doesn't show up, we're depressed. He is in this one as well as Michael Bell, who we see on a regular basis. Everybody else is kind of like uh, they're not big names, not guys you see all the time, but they're you know your typical voice actors. So this is clearly uh, American produced. I believe it was produced. Uh, it was animated overseas though. Isn't it always? Trying to look. <clears throat> uh, no. Yeah, no. Actually, I've never heard of these companies. Uh, Atlantic, well, Atlantic did the Teen Wolf cartoon, but Orbit Communication, or Orbis Communications, I have not heard of. Oh, wow. I've uh, never heard of those either. It's okay, or- Michael. Okay, Orbis is a company owned by Carol Co. If anybody knows that name, it's because they did Terminator 2, Total Recall, the Rambo movies, Showgirls. They did do that. I remember that. I remember that production company. Yeah. Yeah, that big old C. Yeah, yeah. Not Canon C. Canon also had a huge C. This is the circular C that kind of folded into each other. But they owned Orbis. Oh, yeah. They owned Orbis Communications, and they did the animation. I bet you they did the Rambo cartoon. Oh, yeah, no, I wouldn't doubt that. Which, at <laughs> some point, we are going to discuss the Rambo cartoon, because the, the mere idea of it existing fucks my head up. <laughs> oh, good. Now I know what to get you for your birthday. Oh, good, yeah. I want to get that, and I want the Chuck Norris and the Karate Commandos cartoon, because what I want is cartoons starring very violent guys who rip people's throats out and shove knives in people's brains. And shoot arrows at their heads and cut their throats and make them bleed. Make them bleed and watch them die. Hey, look at this. I'm looking up Carol Cole real quick. This has nothing to do with cartoons whatsoever, but I want to, say, I want to say this. Carol Cole attempted to make a movie called Bartholomew, Versus Neff, a comedy film that was written by John Hughes, starring Sylvester Stallone and John Candy. Yeah. Why did this? Was it not, a comedy? It was a comedy with Stallone and John Candy, written by John Hughes. Was it a comedy? Was it a violent comedy? What was it? It must. It has to be out there. Why did we not fund this? I know. What the hell happened? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't even born yet. Damn it. Oh, I'm looking at a lot. I was. Sorry, I was just sitting there, swimming around in my dad's testicle bag, you say just that floating was, around, okay. thinking. Let's add this to the drinking game, everybody. Uh, the listeners who you know are, are listening on pretty much every episode will notice we do certain things on pretty much every episode. Now, to add to that list of the drinking game, whenever Jacob mentions his dad's ball bag, take a drink. Take a big gulp, <laughs> because... Uh, uh, seriously, uh, the rules of the game are, uh, it's a sip when I say, um, it's a sip when you say fuck, it's a gulp when you say something about your ball bag, it's a gulp when I get tongue-tied and have to start over again, you have to slam the whole drink if, um, what was the one we had for slamming the whole drink? Oh, it's, oh. it's uh, either when he says yes, no, uh, or when I say, um, uh, uh, I gotta write down the rules of the game. Um, by the way, you have to take two sips. I just said um twice. 
Oh, that's it. That's it. When I when I do the uh, ha ha, that laugh. When I do that laugh, you have to gulp your whole drink. <laughs> okay, I'll make sure you will not laugh like that. I will have to drown out that sound. Yes. They can only take so much, Michael. I gotta write down the rules for the drinking game. So, and I'm gonna post it on our Facebook page. Go to Facebook under Back in Tunes, and uh, you'll find all of our episodes there. And I am going to put the rules of the drinking game up there. And if you have any suggestions for cartoons for us to discuss, let us know. Because we are getting to the end of our fan request episodes. We're going to go into some movies for a while where we'll discuss like the Ralph Bakshi movies, Heavy Metal, uh, you know, some other things mixed in there. Uh, like, I want to talk about Secret of Nim. Have you ever seen that movie? Yes, I love that movie. Love it. Let's oh talk my God. To, yeah, let's do that one. And uh, then we'll get back to doing like fan request episodes and whatever else uh, pops in our head at the time. Exactly. It does sound like fun. Oh, I do. Okay, there are some cartoons I want to I'd discuss. We got to discuss Rocco, Rocco's Modern Life, and Ren and Stimpy, and Ah Real Monsters. Yeah, that is actually our next episode. Is uh, Rocco and Ren and Stimpy. Now we did discuss Ren and Stimpy, me and uh, my friend Andrew, a couple months ago, but we just barely touched upon it because it was part of a bigger thing. We we're talking about the whole Snick. If do you remember Snick, the Saturday Night Nick? Line? Oh, God. That's, that's what I lived for on Saturday night. On Saturday night. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we are going to do Rocco and Ren and Stippy next. All right. Uh, dude, it sounds like a plan. All right, everybody. Have a good night and be excellent to each other. And, Jacob, what do we always say? Turn the page, wash your hands. Turn the page, wash your hands. <laughs> oh, yeah. Namaste and good luck, you guys. What the fuck was that last thing? What was that? <laughs> that was Filbert from Rocco's Modern Life. Oh my god. The I turtle. Ro- I have to admit, I haven't seen Rocco in probably 15, 20 years, so I am very happy to watch these again. Um, everybody, we kind of ramble at the end of our episodes. You can go. It's good. Have a good one. <laughs>
and that was uh, successful, that kind of opened the gates. So, hey, this stuff can work, you know, kind of like how Gladiator sparked a revival for those big uh, sword and sandal epics because after that you had Troy and Kingdom of Heaven and all those... Uh, uh, those types of pitches come back. So, I mean, I mean, I, there's some truth to it. I mean, Roger Corman, from what Jim Wynorski told me, was a big fan of of uh, barbarian stories and things like that. So he really wanted to get into it. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's it, you know, it's anyone's guess what really what sparks these things. But I mean, they have a run. Um, but unfortunately, I mean, the, the 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 sad thing, I guess, is these kinds of films. I can't see. Uh, I mean, there's, there's in my heart of hearts, I wish there would be some sort of uh, uh, maybe they would come back, but uh, I don't, I don't know how. Today, they would be far too serious, and uh, uh, they wouldn't be as uh, tongue in cheek. No, or uh, lurid. You know, the, the PG-13 is what's taken over. It's going to be really hard. They did, they tried with that Conan remake, but there's something seriously missing from it, and I, I still can't put my finger on it. Yeah, I I've only seen about fifteen minutes of that. I fell asleep. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, some friends of mine said paid for me to go. They said, "Oh, you should come and watch this movie with us." And I said, "Okay, fine." And it was just just started wrong for me, and I fell asleep and woke up uh, like uh, Christopher Lambert in Highlander Two with the usher going, "Hey, mate, the movie's finished." And I went, "Oh, okay." <laughs> I thought, I, I thought so too, Charlie. I thought so too. <laughs> well, I think I think what's missing from a lot of the sword and sorcery movies now is the pulp quality. And if anybody yeah. ever read those old novels, knows that there was a tongue-in-cheek quality, there was a high camp quality, but also it's the uh, the imagination that was used to create things that we've never seen before. And I feel like all the movies now are just creating creatures that oh, oh yeah, dragon, whatever, yeah, we've seen oh orcs, you know, there's nothing fresh being brought. Yeah, I mean, one of my favourite sequences, since we're now sort of talking about the whole canon, is uh, there's a great sequence, and it was reused a couple of times, as a lot of stuff in these movies were recycled in other movies. I mean, you watch, talking about the Deathstalker films, in the Deathstalker films, not as they're footage from the different Deathstalker, namely one, there's footage reused from one a lot. Um, there's also footage from uh, Sorceress, Jack Hill's Sorceress. Right. Uh, but also, uh, there's a great sequence that was first seen in Sorceress, and it is like the final battle. It's very... The, the, the closest that it's ever come to, to a, a redoing or a reworking, if you will, is at the end of Big Trouble in Little China when Lo Pan and Egg Shen have their dueling uh, sort of mystical warrior moment with their magic... Uh, uh, stones, and you see the two warriors up above, you know, clashing with the, the purple and the green light and stuff. Um, a great sequence in, in Sorceress, which was reused in Wizards of the Lost Kingdom, um, was this great sequence where up in the sky there's these two almost godlike, uh, uh, you know, dueling uh, deities, if you will. And one is really cool. One is like half man, half lion, half winged beast. And the other one is just this giant witch's head with a dead like frog for an eye, yeah, and they, they throw yeah. they, they throw like power balls at one another. Um, really, really cool stuff. I mean, for the time, um, and of course, um, the uh, it, it plays so well with the music from Battle Beyond the Stars. Um, 
which which uh, is is uh, recycled. If you if you watch the uh, the Roger Corman cult classics release of Battle Beyond the Stars and hear Roger's commentary, he says, "Man, we got some mileage out of that music." Because um, <laughs> they use that score over and over and over and over. Well, that's what Roger Corman was notorious for, is constantly reusing. I mean, what is it? Uh, Wizards of the Lost Kingdom 2 is 50% footage from other movies. You know, patchwork from Warrior, and the, the, Warrior and the Sorceress, The Barbarian Queen. Um, I yeah. think like, they, they had again used footage from The Sorceress. Uh, that's the problem with his films, is that they're all shot for such low, low budget film. You know, like, it just... These kind of movies require a couple million dollars, bare minimum, and you just do them for like three hundred fifty thousand, five hundred thousand. It's just, I think that's what holds it back. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, uh, like the further you get in the Death Talker series, when you finally get to four, I mean, the first like, nearly the first five minutes of that is all from stuff from the Sorceress and, uh, of course, Death Stalker one, but. You know, and then of course you're like we fill in the gaps. You know, uh, <laughs> you know, let's just shoot a shoot a different part. I mean, the best uh, one of the best Roger Corman stories I ever heard was that he, he got this movie and it didn't really have a it really didn't have a beginning. It just had all these chunks, and they said, "Hey, Roger, how are we going to tie this all together?" And he just said, "My friend, voiceover." <laughs> <laughs> that sounds right. Um, so Deathstalker, that's the first one. That was in 83. And this is, I think, the final film. Actually, it might be early 84. Which, which came first, Warrior and the Sorceress or Deathstalker? Uh, nah, Death, Deathstalker's first, then okay. Warrior and the Sorceress. Uh, then it must have been yeah. Warrior and the Sorceress was the final film from his new world. Uh, I still don't understand yeah. that deal. He sold it to a bunch of guys for, like, what, $15 million? And they didn't own the rights yeah. to the catalog. They didn't own the sequel rights. They didn't own anything other than the name of the studio and the distribution uh, headquarters, which to me sounds like a really crappy deal, and Roger Corman was probably laughing the entire time as he was signing the contract. Yeah, sure, sure. But, I mean, these, 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 this particular set of films, the Deathstalker films, they're great in a sense that, I mean, they're the ultimate sort of beer and pizza movies, but... They are you, – you watch how they sort of wane from being like serious sort of Conan rip-offs to when you get to two, which is one of my favorite films of all time. I have to be careful not to turn this into a Deathstalker 2 fest. Yeah. But um, two is completely off the wall. Like Jim Wynorski and John Turleski sat down and literally rewrote that whole script and pretended that, you know, what if Bugs Bunny was playing the Deathstalker? Um, <laughs> and then you've got three, which is kind of trying to carry on from what they did in Deathstalker 2. Um, and then you go back to the sort of the semi-serious, you know, because you get Rick Hill back as the Deathstalker in four, um, you know, and, and it's kind of trying to get... it's It's got a little bit of camp in it, but it's it's still trying to be like you know, serious, but, you know, when you've got, like, an opening, uh, again, an opening sort of uh, prologue voiceover narration, which has lines like, you know, um, what is it, you know, men, uh, honest men ran for fear of evil armies, you know, in this in this time of chaos, you know, and all this sort of stuff, and it was a, it was an age of darkness, you know, and it's read by this this girl who's you know eventually going to be 
uh, who's going to pop up in the film. And she's, you know, as in classic Death Stalker fashion, she's really a princess who's been screwed over by someone evil out of her kingdom. And, uh, and Death Stalker's got to be the guy, um, essentially the gunslinger who comes to town to, uh, to right the wrongs and, and get her back her kingdom. The, uh, do you know why Rick Hill never came back for two and three? Like, I, I, there was a long enough gap between the first and the second one. I, it didn't seem like it was a rush thing where he wasn't available. It seems like if you're going to wait four years, you're going to be able to get Rick Hill. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I asked. I remember asking Jim Minorsky about it um, a couple of times. I've spoken to him, and he he said I he said I don't know. I don't know. Um, he didn't know. There's no one. I actually tried to get in touch with with Rick Hill and actually do a uh, have a chat about the, the the two Deathstalker films he was in, as well as um, a real a film of his I also really like, which is Serio Santiago's. Um, it's it was released over here as June Warriors. Oh also yeah, stars yeah. And uh, but I could manage to get a hold of him. But uh, yeah, so I mean, because you have um, Terleski in the second one, and then uh, John. Alan Nelson, Killer Clowns, um, from Outer Space, John Alan Nelson, mm-hmm. uh, continuing on, trying to, trying to recapture a bit of Terleski's, you know, uh, slap and tickle type, you know. Yeah, <laughs> that I would popular. say two and three are probably the strongest because of the sense of humor, and the production value seems a little bit higher. Now, all of these movies were part of the, uh, the deal that Corman had with, like, the Argentinian government. Like, they would give him a huge tax rebate. If he's shot down there, that's why all these movies have a very similar look, and that's why I think the footage can be used over and over. Yeah, yeah, and and not only that too, it's it's great to see in all the different ones similar. Uh, like a lot of the interior castle stuff just keeps popping up, and certain props. If you notice certain swords, um, even certain swords the guys use turn up uh, in different films. You know, uniting the three powers. <laughs> um, <laughs> But uh, you know, it's just it's it's really it's really cool. They're all they're almost like really it's kind of like Marvel. It's like this it's like this shared universe, um, but not in the sense of storyline, but in a sense of like props and sets and footage and <laughs> and music and certain actors. Like for instance, in in uh, there's one guy, Marcus uh, Wojcicki, who is in literally he's in Deathstalker. He's in Deathstalker 2. He's in Warrior and the Sorceress. He's in Wizards of the Lost Kingdom. He's in Barbarian Queen. Um, he's he's in all, nearly all of those uh, movies in, in one, one one way, shape, or form. Usually he's a brutish sort of henchman type dude. And I think the only, <laughs> only real distinguishing factor is he wears an eye patch in Deathstalker 2. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, where he's credited as the pirate. Um but uh, you know he's uh, doesn't play a pirate in it. Um, but uh, you know it's it's uh, it's really funny stuff. And just like you said, the two and three, I think the I think the the, the comedy factor because they're so cheap and chintzy, um, that it really it really works. It, it works it works better than trying to be serious because uh, let's face it, a forest and 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 smoke. Um, and a buff guy with a sword doesn't always a good sword and sorcery movie make. No. Uh, so you need something else. And Winorski knew that really well. He was like, we cannot do, for the money that they had, he said, we cannot do a Conan, we can't even do a good Conan ripoff for what we got. So we're going to have to do something that's that's playful, that's that's almost 
you know, del- not 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 maliciously poking fun at this particular genre, but having a good time with it and letting the audience know that you know we <clears throat> we know the joke, we're in on the joke, but you know we're still going to give you you know swords and magic and but there's going to be a you know. If, few more laughs and the characters aren't really taking it seriously and the ones that do play it to the hilt just make the jokes funnier and all that sort of thing <laughs> the uh the covers to a lot of these movies that roger corman uh made uh, i think that they were the most amazing part i think he was really really smart in buying those covers because that would get you to rent it but there had yeah, to been so- some sort of disappointment oh yeah i mean hey boris vallejo right yep. blinded <laughs> we were blinded by the boris vallejo right you know you you look at the covers, and you're like, oh, Boris Vallejo, look at that. It's so wonderful. You know, and they had, I don't know if they had them over there, but over here they had, like, uh, subtitles like Jewel of the Titans and Match of the Titans and and, and the Warrior, uh, Deathstalker 3 was released, Deathstalker 3 and the Warriors from Hell. Yeah, actually, um, we did have those, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, uh, you know, I mean, they, they had all the, you know, I mean, you look at, like you said, you look at the covers and you go, oh, that's awesome. Um because I actually had some of those prints because I love Boris Blair's uh, paintings. And I actually, the, the covers for three and four, I actually had the prints of those before I saw the movies. And I thought, hey, they're the movie posters. Huh. But <laughs> then, of course, you watch the films and you have a look at that cover and you that, that doesn't really, nah, 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 nah. I mean, you, <laughs> yeah. But still, still wonderful. And I mean, you know, you've got... Uh, even in the Rick Hill ones, which which are trying to be, you know, a little bit more serious, when you've got lines like, you know, you're taking a big chance by charging in a man with a drawn longbow, you know, <laughs> and um, <laughs> you know, like the the because in, in I love it in uh, in four they have like these sort of cheap Thundercat looking dudes, right, right, that, are, that have got like tiger heads and cat heads and. You know, and even he's even got a line that says, "You know, I thought cats were, were more graceful or something like that." <laughs> so, uh, but you know, t- I mean, tons. Of, I mean, what's not to what's not to love about these movies? They're so much fun. Even um, the likes of when you've got really great sort of over the top performers in them too, like um, like Bernard um, Bernard who played the uh, Monkar in the first one. You know, I mean, he was the. Vo- I mean, you, you do. A, I know you do a podcast talking about uh, Saturday morning cartoons. Uh-huh. I mean, he he was the voice of of Psykill in in GoBots. No shit. In the Challenger. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. He was um, he was the voice of Psykill. He was also the voice of uh, CryAttack in Visionaries. Okay. In Visionary. Yeah. Yeah. He did a lot of voice work towards the end of his career, and uh, Tom Christopher. Hawk from from oh uh, yeah totally Michael. amazing he's a he's fantastic in these movies he plays uh, Shirka in um, Wizards of the Lost Kingdom and um, the the bad guy in um, I forget his character name but the bad guy in uh, Deathstalker three and he's got this great sort of over the top like I love this scene there's a scene at the end of Wizards of the Lost Kingdom where um, oh man his name's gonna go yeah. Uh, plays the sword wielding guy in it oh shit i can't think of his name but he comes into the the throne room and there's tom christopher at the end of the table with his funny hat on uh-huh. and he's like which one which one of you is shirker and he just stands up and goes that would be me you know oh are we <laughs> yeah, talking about bo so, spenson 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, Bo's fitness. Yeah, he plays Tor or Core. It sounds like, depending on how crappy your old tape is, um, <clears throat> it sounds like cross between Tor and Core somewhere there. Yeah, this, Core the Conqueror. This is um, the thing that yeah. bothered me about a lot of the bigger names that would come to Roger Corman films is that they did not respect the film. Uh, David Carradine in Warrior and the Sorceress, uh, he, he, he is asleep in that movie. He could barely do his fight sequences. And I know that he had broken his hand a few days before filming had started, and I'm still shocked that Roger Corman allowed him to star in it. They must have already signed the contract, and there was no way out of it because those action yeah. sequences are so clumsy. But he's asleep at the wheel. And th- same thing for Bo Svensson. He doesn't seem to give a crap in Warrior and the Sorceress. Or, sorry, uh, uh, Warriors of the Lost Kingdom. But you look, or Wizards of the Lost Kingdom, I want to get this right. But you look at the other yeah. movies, and, you know, Rick Hill is good in it. He's just really calm and laid back. But John Terleski yeah. and John Allen Nelson, now, they really sell these movies. And, and I would say Monique Gabrielle is just as good. Oh, yeah, sure. And look, they're, they're leaping on. They've got the whole Errol Flynn thing going, where they, they're leaping around, and they're doing the big sort of eloquent gestures, like... Um, John Nelson, you know, he gets down on his knees and he looks up and, you know, what's your name? And he kisses her hand and goes, Deathstalker, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's, 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 you know, and Terleski's fantastic, like, backed by popular demand, you know, he's, like, <laughs> he's, um, he's playing it, like, to the hilt and, like, you know, I love the scene where she takes him back to the hut and, like, she makes him food and it tastes like shit and he's, like, wait till she turns around and he's spitting shit out and he's throwing it away and, <laughs> you know. <clears throat> and uh, just, just great. I mean, you, you, yeah. Deathstalker two, on the commentary, Terleski himself says that you know there's a pair of guys. Just jokingly, he's just joking. The pair of guys in Australia that watch this every Friday night. He's not wrong. I know <laughs> one of them. Um, <laughs> Was this in theaters where you lived? Because I don't know if it played theaters. I feel like it was straight to video here. Uh, I I actually saw. Uh, we had a we had an old theater. Uh, a couple of blocks from where I lived, and I actually saw three at the Deathstalker three, and I saw Wizards of the Lost Kingdom at the theater, and I saw um, uh, the Warrior and the Sorceress at the theater. Wow! But all the rest were were, were video. Yeah. yeah. Well, I lived in Indiana, and we just didn't get films like this, as far as I know. We didn't get them in. Uh... Uh, even the drive-ins. What we did get, though, was when New World was taken over by the, the you know a different company. Now those movies somehow ended up at our uh, drive-in like nearly every weekend. I have seen so many of the the second uh, New World pictures, but I, I've never well, seen a Roger Corman film in theaters. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I, I, I very distinctly remember uh, Wizards of the Lost Kingdom uh, at, at the theater, which was it, it played it played really well. It, 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 you know, it doesn't look like you watch it on video. You know, that's you know that 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 shouldn't play well in a theater, but it did um, <laughs> because it's it's a hurt. Because like you said, you know, Post uh, Benson is just sleepwalking through that movie. Um, you know, his sword fighting is is you know crappy. Uh, I love the shots. There's some cutaways where he's actually doing like the big battle at the end, and there's literally very tight cutaways of him just sort of. You can see him swinging the sword around, but it's a pretty tight close-up because he really doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> um, and and then the rest of the time, he just sort of does this very theatrical, like pulling the sword in and out of the scabbard, you know, and going like, come on. And that's about the extent of, of what he does. 
But um, and um, Maria Sokus, who who turns up in um, in a couple of the movies, you know, she was like a she was like a ten pack a day smoker or something oh, like man. that. You, you know, she she turns up. She's in uh, she's in Deathstalker two, and she's in Wizards of the Lost Kingdom, and uh, and, and and a few other ones. Um, I think yeah, she's in the Warrior and the Sorceress too. I think, but um, yeah, just like I mean. You know, you, 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 there can no, there could never. This, this, the whole little series of films we're talking could never come again. I mean, you know, the TNA, the, um, <laughs> you know, the, yeah. uh, what was that one? I think it was Sorceress. I love that torture thing where they tie them to like a greasy pole and there's like a massive spike at the bottom that's basically going to impale you. You know. Because the more you struggle, you slide down it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't remember uh, Sorceress yeah. very well. That one's really hard to find. Yeah. Oh, look, it's Sorceress is wonderful. You've got the two. I forget the they actresses, but they were they were playmates. Two of them. They were sisters, twins. And um, it's it's man, that's a movie that can never be remade made today because one of them is actually away with the hero, and she's having sex with him. And the other sister can feel what the other sister's experiencing. So she's lying with the fire next to the Viking and the fawn. And she's like having, she's like orgasming as the sister orgasms. And um, it's great. It's, it is so wonderful. Sorceress is an incredible, incredible movie. I, I would have to look it up. I should have looked it up before I got on, but Jim Wynorski told me some great sort of yeah. behind the scenes stuff about the making of, of Sorceress, which is really. So out there, over the top. Um, you know, it's got TNA, it's got dick jokes. Um, like when they first meet this this guy who's like a fawn type character who sort of follows them around. Um, he's basically he has his junk out, and the two the two hot twins who are, who are the you know the princesses or the the children of legend or whatever you want to call them, um, see his donger and uh, basically go like you know. What is that? It looks like some kind of weapon. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was always nudity in these movies, and he would use a lot of uh, Playboy and Penthouse centerfolds. I mean, we have uh, uh, Barbie Benton in the first Deathstalker, who, if I remember correctly, does she have a single word of dialogue? I don't think she does. Not really. She, she, she sort of moans a lot as she gets thrown around, and she sighs a lot and stuff. Um, you know, I mean... The fun, fun story of the first Death Stalker, I remember watching that on video, and a friend of mine who lived up the road came down, and um, he, you know, his parents used to, like, they were those, like, Nazi parents that used to censor everything, but their, their kids do, like, censor their breathing and stuff like that. Um, and that's the movie I was watching, and anyway, he went home and told his parents what he saw, you know. Oh, no. <laughs> and she full-on came down and abused my mother, like, how dare, you know. What kind of movies? Do you know the movies that your son's watching and this sort of stuff? Because, I mean, let's face it. I mean, uh, my lasting memory of Deathstalker 2 was Lana Clarkson's tits. Um, because her costume is a cape with no shirt. Right. She not wear a shirt. I, how do they know? show these on television? Like, I keep thinking about Warring the Sorceress, and if you took out all the nudity, the movie would be like 45 minutes long. And, and Deathstalker yeah, yeah. would be much longer. Oh, yeah. Lana Clarkson walks around topless. Um, you know, she doesn't have a shirt. You know? <laughs> and, um, I remember that being one of my, my, my very innocent child-like questions to my mother. I was like, why doesn't she have a tunic or something? 
And she just goes, well, she, she's probably an Amazon, you know, They and she kind of shook her head and she just, <laughs> you're not watching that. And I said, yeah, I just like the sword fights and the magic. I'm not watching the breasts. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Lana Clarkson, God rest her, you know, beautiful woman. What a ridiculous way to go. My God. I, when I heard that, I was like, wait, what? Yeah. But uh, she was she was good, and of course she's she's the barbarian queen as well. But um, yeah, just just you know that that stuff. I mean, you you watch these movies, and the first thing that pops into my head today is they would never get away with. It. Um, as much as they say, like uh, Deadpool has has reemphasized that you know R-rated films can make money. They would. There's no way you'd get away with all that. You know, <laughs> with all that skin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Today, I mean, I remember Winorski telling me that uh, when when he showed uh, footage to Corman, he was like, "Man, you need to get some more breasts in there." Like, there's that that one bar scene near the beginning, which is intercut with shots from the original Deathstalker. But there's this woman who's kind of dancing off just up against the wall with her boobs out, and that was his like, <laughs> that was Jim's like cheapo like. You know, let's just throw a chick with breasts in there, you know, doing a little dance. Because if you notice, she's not really near anyone. It was literally just like a cutaway of this woman. And, like, when the bar fight starts, she sort of runs away in terror. Uh, <laughs> Man, did they use that bar fight over and over? Uh, yeah, and the mud wrestling and, and the pig that's eating the other pigs. Too. Oh, right, yeah. that, that might, I think they used that in three of the four. Yeah, yeah, but um, and let's not forget the Death Stalker two drinking game. You drink every time that Monique Gabriel yells out "Stalker." But <laughs> <laughs> Stalker. Do they ever explain how he gets this name? Because he clearly wasn't born with that name, so he must have ditched his original one and took Death Stalker as his nom de plume. I, I think I think it was. Uh, I think it, I think it's kind of like Star Lord. I think it's like Star Lord before Star Lord. Like you know, like, I also go by the name Star Lord. I also go by, but you know. Deathstalker is stuck because most people, by the time you get to three, most he has a reputation. Um, so most people know who he is. You know, like even like Tom Christopher's got the him and the other. When he goes, when he finally gets into the castle, and him and Tom Christopher are like talking, and the guy sneaks up in behind him with, from the from the bookcase that moves, and uh, he's like, you know, let's not waste time, Deathstalker. You know, it's so, <laughs> you know, so he, you know, he must have. Uh, you know, obviously it wasn't the name he was born with. It's not his first name or his last name. But, um, yeah. yeah. But it would be kind of cool if his parents just named him Deathstalker. <laughs> uh, Larry Deathstalker. It's it's a family he might, name. Yeah, he, might, he might have an interesting first name like Walter or something. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so it's just, you know, just, just incredible. You know, you could really... You can watch, like, all these movies. Like I said, it's really, like, if you, if you watch a lot of them in a row... And it's really like almost the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, where. But like I said, it's just like you see sets from different films and hear music and, and different shots like that. The classic shot in all those Deathstalker films is that poor guy being dragged behind those three guys riding, and like he's got to run, and then eventually he falls over and gets dragged for a little bit, and he hits a tree. I think that's used in just about every one of those. Movies like it was originally shot for the first Deathstalker, but it's in all four of them. Huh. Uh, no, no, it's not in the fourth one. It's in two and three. I'm pretty sure, but you know, and it's but it's also in 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 some of the other ones. Um, in uh, I think it's in Wizards of the Lost Kingdom as well. Um, but yeah, 
just great, great movies. And and I mean, it, it they did have an impact as far as overseas too, because uh, you think about movies we've talked about before, like Hawk the Slayer is very much in the same vein, um, probably a little bit more serious, um, not not as campy as, as some of them, but that that sort of falls into there and. Uh, you know, even uh, there's that one time Barbarians. What's and, that? Uh, oh, I course, know there's the Barbarians of those two wrestler brothers. What's that? Uh, oh, what's... yeah, yeah. Okay. The Hun brother. Yeah. That's a great one. That's a great one to, to lump into. The, that's a canon picture, but uh, that's that's great to, to lump in there because that's, that's fantastic. Those guys are fantastic. Yeah, there's Man, like two the... schools of, uh, you know, like the ripoff Conan films. There was the Italian versions and then the Roger Corman versions. Basically, those two were keeping that genre alive. Yes, you would get Legend and Willow and stuff like that, but you know, it just like you know the the quick, the cheap quickie ones, the ones that were more lurid and pulpy, were the ones coming out of those two places. Yeah, sure. I mean, and the Barbarians is a great entry into this whole uh, canon. I mean, the Hun Brothers are fantastic, man. They're um, uh, the Paul Paul Brothers, but um, they they're just that that movie is just like so wonderful that and the the, the the and the um the the region two disc I have actually has them promoting the film. They're driving around in this jeep, literally driving on the highway in, in Los Angeles, like handing out posters to people in cars, and then they're talking about how they're the, they're the number one box office drawer in Egypt <laughs> um, and stuff like that. And then there's a music video, um, which has really nothing to do with the film. There's clips from the film in it. Um, yeah, and it's something else. It's it's part of the dark side of the 80s, that, that music clip. It's it's yeah. really different. And uh, uh, who directed that? Was it Ruggiero Diodato or something like that? That's Yeah, that's the dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he, and then... Uh, he was mostly yeah, known great. as like a horror director, but he directed that like a family film when... When Lucio Fulci did Conquest, which I know a lot of people like, but I think is incredibly dull, even with the, the fact that it uses a lot of special effects, um, yeah, yeah, he didn't make it for everybody. He made it kind of. Uh, there's a couple moments in there that are truly repulsive. Yeah, oh yeah, and the Atoll films as well. I was watching. I, I finally got a copy on on VHS because you can't get it on DVD anyway. Of Atoll the Invincible, Atoll Fighting Eagle, you can get no worries. Um, it's everywhere. But the one that's also called the Blade Master, I think, over there in the states. Yeah, uh, um, and it's also called Cave Dwellers. If you watch it on Mystery Science Theater. Yeah, but um, Atoll the Invincible is wonderful. Wonderful. Um, you know, he's got that marvelous hang glider sequence. Look at the end. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a time of magic in the Dark Ages and whatever. But he's got like this, what is very clearly a hang glider, um, like a very modern. Hang glider, <laughs> uh, and he storms the castle with his hang glider, and it's uh, Miles O'Keefe, man. Love the guy. He's uh, he's um, yeah. <laughs> it's great. Did it's you, tremendous. Uh, have you seen three or four of the A Tour series? Uh, uh, Quest for the Mighty Sword. No, that's the fourth one. That's the one that Miles didn't do. But uh, uh, crap, who's the guy who directed all of these? He always went under a different name. Um, shit. I'll look it up. Uh, but he did like 4,000 movies. Ator. Uh, but I know that there's the third one, and I think they even reused the footage of the giant spider in it, but they, they kept it so he could, uh, 
um, run down the hill after him. Oh, the third one's called Iron Warrior. Iron Warrior, yeah. I've, got, I've still got Iron Warrior on tape. And Quest for the Mighty Sword, like you said, doesn't have miles um, in it. But, um, yeah, the sad thing is that you can't get a lot of these. It's very hard to get some. You know, like my, my Sorceress... Um, DVD, my Sorcerer's videotape is really on the fritz. And, oh, um, I know. It came out on yeah. Blue. It came out on Blue, I think, last year. Uh, I'll, I'll send oh, you a link. Yeah, they did a big special edition of it. Uh, I want to say it's Severn Films or something like that. Um, so, yeah, oh, the, yeah, the first three Deathstalkers are available on DVD through the Roger Corman Sword and Sorcery Collection. Um, but yeah, the fourth yeah, one yeah. is still not available. Yeah, yeah. No, no, yeah. No, I got, I got that as well. I must have missed that. Sorcerers, eh? That's fantastic. This, yeah, no, uh, that's a, that's... this uh, Blade Master poster is astonishing. When it was released on video here, um, they yeah. cut all that art out. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, the one the one here, like, when it was released here, it was literally just, like, a photo from the film of Miles, like, holding his sword above his head and stuff like that. Yeah, I've know? seen that one. That was really cheap. Yeah. This is a really nice one, which I, I posted because I was watching it the other day, which is, is like a nice illustrated one of him like fighting a giant snake, which he which he does do in, in the latter part of the film when he tries to save the bird from being sacrificed to a very similar to to Conan, you know, with the the snake temple and stuff. There's a bunch of dudes who worship this big snake, and um, you know, and there's a there's a guy I forget his name. He does he's like this weird Fred, Freddie Mercury type. Uh, <laughs> uh, villain who, who's trying to get the secret power, which is it turns out to be atomic energy. Um, you know, and Ator, you, you don't see it, but Ator apparently rides off and destroys it, and there's a big atomic explosion. Um, you know, <laughs> at the end, and then of course he survives because we see him riding away because the chick asks, you know, can I go with you? And he's like, ah, oh, you know, but I'll come back eventually. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll work my way back around. I'll just go and destroy this. Atomic power because the world's not ready for it, and uh, yeah, so yeah, at all the at all movies. Um, I don't know if you could really put your The Hunter from the Future into this canon. Uh, maybe a little bit. Yeah, that one. It's it's like Star Wars meets the pre, like almost Quest for Fire. I never really considered a sword and sorcery movie. Um, uh, yeah, I don't I don't know where that one falls in. I um I, I can't remember the name of uh, the director. I keep trying to find it. Of all these movies, but I think it's funny that he reused the special effects from Troll 2 for uh, Quest uh, for the Mighty Sword, which was also called Hobgoblin some places, which is weird. Right, uh, yeah. Oh, Joe D'Amato, yeah. there it is, Joe D'Amato. Joe, Joe D'Amato, that's right, yeah. He pops up a fair bit. And um, Howard Cohen, who, who was one of the writers, like he... Uh, he was he was a writer and a producer. He was a producer on the first Deathstalker and then a writer on the third and a producer on the third. Then eventually directs the fourth one. But um, yeah, it's 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 odd how the fourth one always gets get left out. I don't know if the you know the the rights are you know whoever owns it's a different people who own it or something like that. But like I told you, like when you said it was tough to find, it was like. Um, I was in this like this discount store, and they had all these two dollar DVDs, and they had the whole set there. They had Deathstalker, Deathstalker two, Deathstalker three, and four. And I thought, wow, because I, you know, <clears throat> I had uh, I still I, I never had four on VHS, and then I was so surprised to see it. I hadn't seen it in a long time, 
Um, and I totally forgot the, the plot and, and all that sort of stuff. And Rick Hill, of course, comes back. And um, it's got that great scene with that, that really big dude with the long hair who's like, I think he's secretly in love with the Deathstalker. Oh, Brett Baxter Clark, who was highly underrated. Yeah, he did a yeah. ton of Italian films and uh, kind of disappeared. And he's like, you know, he says, I don't drink. And he said, you know, when he sees him kissing, the, haven't you ever been with a woman? He says, this is the closest I've ever been to a woman. And he has to pretend that he's drunk because, you know, the, the queen or the, the evil queen has got that great, great line, you know, I need a man, the bigger and the better and drunk. And <laughs> because, as, she, as you know, she likes her men hard, literally, and she's taking them down to the basement and turning them into statues to, like, keep them around um, for all time. She's got, like, a whole Jeffrey Dahmer thing going there. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's pretty weird. But, um, you know, and the mug wrestling scene pops back up and, you know, you got those weird people with the cat heads um, that I, I guess are supposed to be mutants. So, like, the, you know, the Kmart Thundercats. Right. Um, <laughs> but just, it's so great. I really forgot how good 4 was until I found that disc and, and watched it again. It's, it's, it's a really, it's sort of a nice blend. It's Because Rick Hill's back in it, it's, it's, it's got a little bit more, uh, of, of the serious, trying to be serious, but then it sort of descends into the, the funny stuff and, uh, you know, and, and three as well. Three, I mean, three can't help but, but try to recapture two, but two, you'll never, two, they'll never, you'll, you'll never, they'll never touch two. Two is just so great in, in all its areas. That's got everything in it. It's got sword and sorcery. It's got the zombie sequence in a graveyard. Um, it's got that scene that was literally shot at a dump. <laughs> outside of Pina, where you can see the, the, the old uh, tires from cars literally in the foreground. Um, you know, it's got Queen Kong, uh, the big wrestling Oh, right, sequence. right. Yeah, it's, man, that, that movie just has, like, everything you want. It's got laughs. It's got, what's his name? John Lazar, you know. Great Ronnie villain. I, I looked him well. up, and I swear that he is from a lot more than what the IMDb lists him at, but I cannot figure out where I've seen him outside of Deathstalker 2. Yeah, man, John Lazar. I've, I've got a great story, which I can't share. I'll tell it to you off air. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, the Jim Wynorski told me about John Lazar. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I had to leave it out of our first interview as well uh, with, with Jim. Because like, he was... You know, I hit him. I hit him up with a question, like, you know, can you tell me any stories from the shoot and stuff? And he goes, "Mate, a lot of it's transgressive." But and then he coincided. He went, oh, "Okay," and he told me this story about John Lazar. So, um, <laughs> yeah, but um, it's not. It's, it's really not as bad. But he said because he's still alive. Uh, <laughs> it's like, right, you right. Take it. You don't get sued. But, uh, yeah, but. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, two is two is just magical. Two I've watched over and over and over and over and over. And like I said, there's the Deathstalker two drinking game where every time a night girl goes Stalker, you can get really ripped um, drinking every time she says that. And you uh, love these movies so much that you wrote an homage to them, which just came out an audiobook, Deathmaster. Totally, totally. Um, Deathmaster um, and also Sword Dude. Sword Dude's very much. Um, an homage as well. But yeah, Deathmaster, of course, the title's not taken from that other film of the same name. It's literally Deathstalker, Beastmaster, combined Deathmaster. You know, there's no great genius behind it. But uh, dedicated to, to Jim Wynorski, um, 
who I'm proud to say has the book in his library. Um, but yeah, a real loving uh, homage. Well, it's really a homage to all these movies. And uh, yeah, it's just come out on on audio Audible. You can get it on Audible for free if you sign up for Audible. You get a free book with you with joining up. Um, if not, anyone listening who wants a code, hit me up on Facebook. I'll give you a free code, and you can listen to it. Um, yeah, so it's and and of course, uh, Jim actually wrote a forward um, for Sword Dude Two, which is more directly a homage to Deathstalker Two. Um, and uh, yeah, and it, it literally has some pretty heavy-handed, <laughs> you know. Uh, rip-offs, homages, whatever you want to call it, uh, in it. Um, but, yeah, because these, these movies are just so incredible, and I really tried to, like, write a couple of really, like, Death, Death Master's really a valentine to all of these, all of these movies, all of them, not just the Deathstalker films. Uh, you know, there's a bit of everything, Wizards of the Lost Kingdom and... And, uh, you know, I mean, you know, and it's, it's mixed in with a whole bunch of other genres too. There's a little bit of Last Starfighter in there. Um, but, you know, all that, all that kind of thing. Like, um, for instance, one of the great scenes in Death Stalker 2 is where the, he goes up to the, the, the bubbling pool and it's literally like a payphone. Like he throws the right amount of change in the pool to call John Lazar through the magic pool. Um, I did my version lad, but basically the guy takes a leak on the ground and, and throws the coins into his puddle of, of piss on the ground um, to call the evil sorcerer, um, you know, the, the, the pee phone. Um, so, yeah, lots of, you know, lots of homages, talking creatures, uh, reuniting the three towers, like all that sort of stuff I tried to get in there, two-headed dragons, uh, ghost ninjas. Um, <laughs> yeah, I tried to cover all the all the all the bases, and uh, a lot of people go, "Man, what's?" I don't know what the story is, but man, he packs those references inside. Man, I was trying to get like, I was trying to nod to every single one if if it was possible, um, and try to tie it to co- into a cohesive narrative. Um, but you know, just they're just. These movies are incredible. If, if you haven't seen them and you can get a hold of them, sit and watch them all. Like, like I keep saying, this is like a cinematic universe that will never be again, and they all are tied together, not through plot or characters or anything like that, but the fact that they use the same sets and shots from other movies and music and, and certain actors reappear and um, effect shots reused. But, um, yeah, wonderful Wonderful movies, man. This whole canon, the Deathstalker films, Wizards of the Lost Kingdom 1 and 2, um, Barbarian Queen, the, the Warrior and the Sorceress, um, the Atoll movies, Barbarians. Um, man, you could just, yeah, there was a, this was a great, this is a great, this was a great movement in cinematic history that, uh, yeah, that's, Largely forgotten, uh, but uh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, I, I, when we pick up next season, I would love to discuss Sword and the Sorcerer and um, uh, Beastmaster. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, Sword and the Sorcerer. Jeez, I always, I always end up forgetting that one. That's a great one, Albert Pune's Sword and the Sorcerer. Yeah, and um, Beastmaster, of course, Don Castorelli's wonderful Beastmaster as well. You put that in there, 
And, um, yeah, they're just, yeah. And like you said, really, really inventive. You know, a lot of the stuff is, you know, depending on the directors, um, you know, it was trying, they were trying to, they were trying to recapture some of that Ari Howard, Henry Kuttner sort of uh, pulp fantasy, mm-hmm. uh, but just ended up creating something that, that, that is a whole, something unto itself really, that's got all those things that celebrates the life of the barbarian or the lone warrior. Um, but also there's some great humour, some wonderful, wonderfully for the budgets they had, wonderfully inventive special effects. Yeah, well they're also uh, forward thinking that they gave roles uh, for strong women before like the studios are really doing this. Sure, sure. And, and you know, I mean, having sort of all women films like, like uh, with with the, like with uh, Lana Clarkson, God rest her, what a beautiful woman. I'll never forget those breasts. Um, <laughs> you know, that's that's my last. Uh, it's kind of sad. That's my lasting memory of her. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, because that was that was the first. I mean, you're watching Death Stalker, and there's there's some beautiful women in there. But then Lana Clarkson rocks up and you just look at that costume and you go, well, she doesn't have a shirt. Wow, she walks around like that all the time. You know? I just chalk it up to the heat. The heat, that's why. You have to ventilate. But, I mean, you you look at that. Like, What's great is she walks around like that, but in the scene where they go into the big big chamber, into Monka's castle... Um, she has to grab Rick Hill to, like to hold his attention because he's looking at other women and stuff. Uh-huh. And it's like, how could you? How could you look around? She's right there with the, you know, high beam, right? And she's she's right there, and like she's got to. I love how she's got to do this, but where she sort of like she grabs his arm, like, hey, remember me? And it's just like, yeah, dude. But they, like they 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 sort of have it off like just a few seconds. They've only known each other. For like you know, literally less than a day, and already they you know they've 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 had sex, and and now she's yeah you know, he's kind of like you know, welcome to the castle, you know, in the classic mud wrestling scene which plays in a lot of those films, and the the pighead guy, the irony of the the, the pigheaded mutant looking at a pig's head served on the on the platter, and he's thinking, wow, that could be me next, um, you know, <laughs> just fantastic. All right, if is there you anything you, uh, you want to plug before we go? Yeah, um, look, uh, you can catch me on podcast and softly as always. Um, it's uh, it's always great to, to chat with Michael about these films. And, yeah, check out on audible.com, uh, Deathmaster and Sword Dude 2. Sword Dude 2 has a forward from Jim Winorski himself. Where do we find that interview, ma- that interview that you did with him? Where do you find that? On podcast and softly. Okay. It's, it's called... Uh, it's called. Uh, it's under the title. Is that your first name or your last name? Remembering Deathstalker Two, with Jim Winorski. Uh, my recording setup wasn't that good at the time, so I had to transcribe our whole uh, conversation. So it's not an audio interview. You have to. You'll have to read it. But um, we did finally get to talk. Do an interview. We talked. We talked about the return of Swamp Thing. The return of the return of Swamp Thing. <laughs> uh, our last. Yeah, because Swamp Thing. Uh, Return of Swamp Thing is back out in a wonderful uh, DVD package. If anyone's interested, it's got nothing to do with sword and sorcery, but it's a great, uh, great, funny, campy movie. Before the DC 
universe is now Jim Wynorski was making DC movies back in the day, people. It's all been done before. Everything old is new again. Yeah, that's another one yeah. we could do next year is uh, the, the Swamp Thing films. Swamp Thing, yeah. You can even throw in the series. Which is great. They're gonna, you know, again they're gonna try and redo the series. James Wan of uh, of Aquaman and and the Saw movies is, is supposedly spearheading a um, a revival of, of Swamp Thing on, on television. So uh, we'll see how it goes. But yeah, Sword and Sorcery, love it. Everyone, go check it out. Deathmasteraudible.com, podcasting softly. Michael, it's always great to uh, chat with you, mate. All right, thank you for another great season. And everybody, check us out on Facebook under Retro Rocket Entertainment. And um, thank you. Uh, have a good winter. Well, we'll be back in the spring. Yeah. the classic book by Frank Miller. I am your host, Michael, and I'm welcoming back my host from Back in Tunes, Jacob. How's it going, Jacob? I'm not Jacob. I'm Batman. (laughs) (laughs) The other day, for some reason, I thought it'd be hilarious. Usually we start every episode by, I'm Michael, and uh, that's Jacob. How's it going, Jacob? We always do the same thing almost every single episode. For some reason, I was bound and determined to go, I'm Michael, and that's Jacob, and I would go, what's up, chuckle nuts? (laughs) (laughs) I'm bored at work, and I find myself giggling over these stupid things. Like, I'm in the back room going, what's up, chuckle nuts? Hey, bitch tits, McGee. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Dude, I'm a huge... Okay, so, yes, if anybody's not aware of me doing that little Batman impression, I, yeah, I don't think they can tell that I was Batman fan, uh, enough of a Batman fan. (laughs) Oh, my God, this music's so good. This reminds me of Tron. Oh, I know. God, it did a great job. I want to say Christopher Drake. You're right. You're right. You're right. That's totally who it is. I remember seeing it at the end. I gotta know who this guy is. He's amazing. This, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw my balls right on the table, and you can take a hammer to him if you want to. But I'm gonna say this right now: the animated movie is better than the comic book. Uh, I don't know. Well, the comic book was definitely like more mature and R-rated. The, uh, the animated movie was, um. <clears throat> It's almost a little hard. bit more toned down. Yeah, it's it's, it's a, it's it's a heavy PG thirteen. Yeah, it is. That's true. Plus, also, I think you know the little, you know the little thought, you know, little caption bubbles where Superman speaking during the, you know, uh, fighting in the Corto Maltese. Yeah. I thought that added a little bit more depth to Superman. You know, talking about how it's their world. It's you know their world now, and they've all gone and done their own thing after you know the government like had them you know sign a treaty and disband them. The, uh, the entire Justice League, that is. Yeah. But even then, no, again, the animated movie, like, was such... Oh, my God. It was just absolutely a great dedication to the comic book. 
it was very spot on. You know, while we're at it, let's go ahead and jump into this. We were going to do an episode at the beginning of Comics on Infinite Earths where we're going to discuss Batman vs. Superman, but I decided not to see it because they kept promising a, oh, a longer cut. They're going to put it in theaters? Well, I'm not going to go see it. I'm going to wait for this version to be released. And uh, if you're a regular listener of the podcast that me and Jacob do together, you know how pissed I am at them for not doing it. So I didn't get to see it on video until just oh, yeah. recently. And, um... Fuck, even with your explanations of stuff that didn't really fit for me, I still don't think it's that great of a movie. That first hour was pretty awesome. And then Lex Luthor came in, and I was like, oh, shut up. And then they started beating the shit out of each other forever and ever. And I was like, shut up. <laughs> and then I'm like, Wonder honest, Woman. I'm, I'm like, hold on. This is getting better. Wonder Woman, we're good. We're good. Doomsday, oh, shut up. <laughs> No, I mean, honestly, I thought it was a good idea to introduce Doomsday. I mean, that's a guy we've been waiting forever to see. And he is, he's kind of like a, just a one-and-done kind of villain. There's really not much to him. Why do they keep bringing him back and it makes comments, the... though? You know, we're going to discuss it probably in a future episode. Actually, a, a real a soon to do, uh, I can't talk, people. I don't know what words mean. Um, we were talking about talk, doing Death of Superman, because you have that, and I've been wanting to watch that. Didn't they make an animated movie of Doomsday? Yeah, they did. Superman Doomsday. I want to see that. It was, like, they... about the death of Superman. Yeah, but I do too. I've never watched it. Yeah, I mean, I only have like the first two volumes of the Death and Return series. Like, you know, there's the Death of Superman. You know, where the Justice League, like Booster Gold and all them, try to stop Doomsday, and Superman ends up giving his life. Then I have the second volume, which is Funeral for a Friend. I, I, I was deprived of this as a kid. I never read these. I played the video game by Blizzard Entertainment. Yeah. For Super Nintendo, that was it. And I'm like, well, damn, there was so much missing from that video game that could have been in this. Oh, if only if it was made today. It'd be so great. And, you know, I sit there and I, and I watch the animated movie and I'm just like, this is what I wanted out of Batman vs. Superman. I know it can't be the same. It can't be the post-apocalyptic version. But they're sitting there for years talking, oh, Batman vs. Superman. It's going to be the dark Batman. It's going to be when he's older. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I was like, oh, this is going to get, you know, really like... Just like Dark Knight Returns, it's gonna get that dark. And I was like, oh. And then I watched the movie. Okay, so it's not that far ahead in time. Okay, okay, I see. Uh, I guess if it was gonna be that far ahead in time, they wouldn't cast Ben Affleck. Like it would have been someone older, like Tommy Lee Jones or something. And um, you know, well, what, I don't know what to say about the movie. I liked it, but I didn't like it. I think I need to see it again because you know, you and I talked about Green Lantern. You and I were both severely disappointed the first time we saw it, but I've seen it a couple times since, and it's grown on me quite a bit. Yeah, there are some parts, don't get me wrong, that do grow on me from Green Lantern. But with Batman vs. Superman, yeah, I saw the midnight showing of it. Knowing that, like, half an hour of the movie was cut out, I felt a little cheated. But when I saw this ultimate, when I saw the Ultimate Edition, I, honestly, it was such a fast-paced movie. Like, I, I could not believe three hours just flew by. It was already at the part where they were chasing down during the Batmobile chase. Yeah, well, where's, and, where's Jenna Malone in this? Or, is that her name? Jenna? Yeah, yeah, yeah Jenna in the Malone. Ultimate Edition, she's a, uh... She's actually a Star Lab scientist. Did I miss that? Where is that in the movie? Uh, did you not watch the Ultimate Edition? I did watch the Ultimate Edition, but you know me. I have ADD. I have severely ADD, and then I have a phone in my hand. I'm going to go to my phone every five seconds to look up people's <laughs> things. Like, uh, what, what, what is Christopher Nolan working on right now? Why is he involved in it? You know, like stuff like that. I don't know why I do this. <laughs> well, I mean, Christopher Nolan is coming out with a new film soon, but I think he definitely should come back and have a huge part in the DC movies, because right now it's really just Jeff Johns. I want to Ooh. see if Christopher Nolan comes back. He doesn't like doing the superhero stuff. He did Man of Steel, but he doesn't like the superpower stuff. I say that he brings, this is never going to happen. I know this coming out of my mouth. It's never going to happen. Uh, the question. I want to see him do the question. 
Yes, he should do street hero stuff. That's why, um, well, Batman, anytime Batman's involved, he's always awesome. But even then, he did bring like Batman to, you know, awesomeness again after the disaster of Batman and Robin. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> shit. Uh, but huh. also, I will say this: the the basis for you know Ben Affleck's Batman was Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns, yeah. which I thought was done pretty well. I mean, you got the armor, you've got the suit, you got you got Ben Affleck all jacked up. My God, dude! He's I know freaking, it's like, enormous. I can't believe how big he is. I mean, he's all hunched over now, though. That's the problem with putting on a lot of front muscle is that your body starts to curve. It's bad for your spine and your neck. You look at Dwayne Johnson, especially in that last Furious movie, uh, his yeah. body is curved so much that he's actually cutting the oxygen off to his brain because the posture is putting pressure on not only the neck and the shoulders, but also on your diaphragm. Yeah, no, that's why they got to start. They got to keep their back. They got to walk straight, keep their backs nice and lined. Do some Plus, rowing, I rowing mean, exercises. Yeah, no, that's what that's what ba- yeah that's what Batman should be doing. Next training montage, rolling exercises. Come on, come on, Dick Grayson. Also, what I thought, I mean, anyway, so yeah, no, when it was Zack Snyder, he whenever it comes to visuals, he like takes pages from the comic books onto the screen. Yeah, I'll say that. Like with he you know, gets it. but it's so. Oh I'm, my god, I'm getting tired of the murky. I'm going to do a bright and happy one. Eh, I don't know. I I mean, eh, I don't know. I can't do bright and happy Batman. I mean, maybe for laughs, like you know, I'll watch Adam West. Well, not necessarily which is Batman, actually... but the Justice League is filled with more color than just Batman world. Yeah. Now, but seeing that Justice League trailer, that does give you hope. Like there is def- there's a humor that you kind of see in the movie, or no, not in the movie. There is humor in the movie that you'd see in like the Justice League cartoons, just from that little clip that they showed. Yeah. The trailer didn't want so, to that, I mean, me. I thought it kind of died with the whole Flash sequence. It was like, why is this still going? Move on, move on. Hey, Aquaman, awesome. Cyborg, cool. I, I know. I'm more. I'm really excited to see how Aquaman and Cyborg will do. Plus, as far as it goes for, um, as far as it goes for uh, Justice League, I mean, Jeff Johns wasn't DC Studio head exec until like after the negative reviews of the theatrical movie. Right. So now that he's been brought in, he kind of had he he was. <clears throat> He was able to do more on Justice League because he, he may have been an executive producer in the movies, but I think Warner Brothers was giving more power to Zack Snyder oh, yeah. and his wife, Deborah, uh, regarding the looks of the. I mean, yeah, he's a great visual director, but when it comes to story, not so much. That's where you got to have Jeff Johns come in. Yeah. Uh, so back to Dark Knight Returns. Now, the comic book yes. for me, um, this is going to seem kind of funny considering I was 12 years old at the time, but I had just seen Batman. Mind-blown, seeing Batman on the big screen. Uh, I would see it three more times on the big screen. And then my mom was joining a book club, and I had actually seen on the uh, cover of the book advertisement, Batman, the novelization. I'm like, oh, i got to get that, because apparently not seeing the movie three times was enough. Uh, but I also saw Dark Knight Returns with Batman with it. I was like, wait, that is Batman, right? Why are they calling him the Dark Knight? Because I had no clue at this time. And I read the description. Right, like, Batman yeah, no. Returns after all this time. I was like, oh, i got to read this. And then I got it, and I remember being about five pages in going, what am I reading here? This is strange. This is truly, like, uh, unusual, because, you know, Batman doesn't show up for a while if you read the comic. It's, it, it's, it's, it feels like, like, you know, some sort of uh, RoboCop style, which is why he wrote RoboCop 2 and 3. It's, it has that kind of, um, what do you call it, uh, not cyberpunk, but, you know, just kind of like Mad Maxine, Escape from New York, uh, mixed with social commentary. Yeah, uh, kind of a dystopic future. I'm actually looking. I mean, without the Batman, crime has gotten like way high. There's a new gang taking over. It's pretty vicious, and nobody's stopping them. 
Yeah, I'm looking here. And then, Batman of course, doesn't show up until what looks like uh, 25 uh, pages into it. <laughs> yeah. Still, I thought it was really well done. Oh, speaking of Robocop, in the animated movie, Peter Weller's the voice of Batman. Hell yeah. How awesome. I thought he did a great job. My God. As an old, retired Batman, he did perfect. He has that really kind of <clears throat> almost monotone, deep voice. Very controlling. Especially for an older... Yeah. Very controlling. Oh, my God. And then Michael Emerson as the Joker was just absolutely perfect. I honestly uh, thought he really embodied that character. Is especially Michael displaying. Emerson from Lost? Yeah, he played Ben. Oh, okay, okay. I know who it is now. Oh, my God. Yeah, no. When he was just, like, saying those lines, you know, saying, oh, Batman, darling, you know, just really bringing out that thin veil of eroticism that Joker has for Batman. It was just, it was, again, it was displayed beautifully. Uh, you know, it's funny. The Joker's relationship with him is so symbiotic. It's like he requires him to in order to live. If Batman dies, Joker would kill himself. And I think, to fast forward a bit, when Joker and him had that showdown at the end of the movie, the book, whatever, um... It's uh, it's like he knows Batman's gonna die, or there's a really strong chance that Batman's gonna die, and he just kind of kills himself. He breaks his own neck. I know, and paralyzes him with that little neck twist, and then Joker's just like, ugh. I remember seeing the it bat. It is. It's just pretty nuts. Bat rammed into his eyeball. It was stuck in my brain as a twelve-year-old so strongly. Oh, I know. And then Joker. Oh my God! Like friggin' Joker killing up that whole, uh, you know, TV audience with the whole with the gas and kissing that one guest and making her like. Die with a smile on her face. Yeah. And in the animated movie, I love how they brought in Conan O'Brien yeah, as the host yeah. of the TV show. The Joker is a force of nature. Normal people seem... I don't know why they keep thinking in the books they can control him. They can stop him. Even Batman thinks he can do it. He's a force of nature. You can't control a twister. No, not at all. He, you can't. There's, like, no stopping him. Heck, even in the killing joke at the end when Batman was just, like, appealing to him, you know, telling him, like, I could rehabilitate you. I can, you know... Batman was actually, you know, showing sympathy and compassion for him, which is pretty fucking odd and just absolutely bizarre. But then Joker's was like, nope, it's too late. I'm far, I'm way beyond that now. Um, you know, I was like, fuck. Did Joker you ever read Death in the Family, the one where he kills Robin? No, I didn't. I really need to read that series, oh. especially after seeing Batman vs. Superman. When you see Robin's destroyed suit or damaged suit saying, ha, 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 joke's on you. Yeah, and I don't think like, Frank, I, I don't think Frank Miller knew that Joker. Was, I don't think Joker kills Robin in, for another year or two. And this is nineteen eighty what eighty five eighty six. This came out. Let me look at the year and see if it tells me. Yeah, uh, I, I know it came out in nineteen eighty five. Uh, no, it says nineteen eighty six. I am almost certain that okay. uh, Robin was still alive uh, at the time this was published. I don't think he was killed until late eighty seven, early eighty eight. And um, so it's like he just knew. He just knew that the Joker was going to wipe out. He doesn't say. I don't think he says. Um, wait, what was it? It was Dick Grayson. Uh, who's the second one? Uh, Jason Todd. Jason Todd. I knew Todd was in there somewhere, but I almost said Todd Drake, but that's Tim Drake, who's the third one. Uh, you know, I don't think he knew that he was going to be wiped out or that was even an option. And yet, for some reason, right. you know, he was prophetic. Yeah, he was, actually. Plus, I mean, it's also the future. Batman's 55. Something has to happen to drive him over the edge. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> which is why he says he was a good soldier. He honored me. Honestly, I, I, but reading this book, I mean, it, it, it's definitely total, it's definitely a little bit pro-libertarian. And it makes fun of, like, it definitely makes fun of liberals. Like, and you see that guy, you know, calling Batman, you know, he's um, being interviewed on the street saying Batman is pretty much like an, a psychotic enabler for these vigilantes and some of these villains to act out their 
you know, aggressive and violent behavior. And then after that, he says, what? No, I'd never live in the city. And then it goes to another guy talking about which Batman would do that to the homos. So I'm like, okay, in the book. So yeah, um, you know, when those people are being interviewed on um, on the Gotham on Gotham News and uh, Dark Knight Returns, there's that one guy who's saying Batman's a psychotic enabler for all these, you know, vigilantes and violent people uh, popping up due to, due to uh, Batman's activities. And then he says, what? No, I'd never live in I never live in the city. Yeah, that part I caught. Like, Sorry, oh, everybody, yeah. if you don't know what happened, uh, we had an audio glitch, and I caught that part. It was right after that that uh, you cut out. I'm sorry. And then there was a guy they interviewed that said, like, yeah, I wish Batman would go after all the homos, too. So I'm like, oh, okay. So it's also kind of making fun of all the, you know, conservative, you know, homophobic assholes. Yeah. In the well, book it does, but in the cartoon it really doesn't. Yeah, well, the cartoon, of course, is, is, is 30 years later. I can't, oh, my God, I just realized this is the 30th anniversary of this book. What? <laughs> Oh. <laughs> um, oh gosh, yeah, you know it's pr- pretty nuts. Yeah, it's, so it's not like just, a hu- it is a huge book. Yeah, Frank it Miller. It made Batman a badass. Yeah, Frank Miller is the kind of guy who played both sides against each other. He he was never really conservative. He was never really liberal, and he kind of mocks both in this book. Yeah, yeah, he does. In the book, he does, but in the cartoon, it's just definitely making just fun of the left wing. Although it does kind of, and it right in this book, it does make a lot of sense of why Batman and Superman wouldn't exactly start out as friends i mean batman is a vigilante you know a man going uh beyond the law you know violating civil rights and committing crimes in the process yeah and superman is just a <laughs> exactly assault and battery uh god um breaking and entering oh shit the list goes on and on and he does he violates people's civil rights and then of course there's the whole side well he's standing up for something blah 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 blah, blah. the whole you know libertarian tea party argument comes in <clears throat> But then again, you know, this is a fictional world. There is no actual Batman. There's so many billionaires and not one of them's Batman. Come on. <laughs> I'm so disappointed. Nobody's using their powers for good. No one's built a giant robot suit. How is this possible? I just don't know. I mean, they're making robots and starting to make AI, but that's <laughs> oh, about that's it. That's never going to turn out good. I don't want, I don't want Terminators. Oh, I want Iron Man. Exactly. I want Iron Man. I want RoboCop. I want fucking, oh gosh. What was another, what was a good AI movie? Well, besides the movie AI by Steven Spielberg, which is highly underrated, <laughs> I still don't understand why people hate that movie so much. I know it was uh, one. Short of, Circuit. Well, it was actually one of the Short Circuit. He oh, that too. Yeah. Oh no, I want my own Johnny Number Five. That'd be awesome. And also, um, yeah, AI was actually uh, Stanley Kubrick's uh, one of Stanley Kubrick's films. He uh, Steven Spielberg finished it for him. Yeah. Because of course, sadly, Stanley Kubrick passed before it could be his version could be fully realized. Anyway, back to Dark Knight. You know, you see, you really do see a lot of what would go into Robocop later in Dark Knight. I mean, just the, the cyberpunk, the the neo-Nazis is weird. I think it's funny in the comic book how the girl has uh, uh, giant swastikas on her butt and no top whatsoever. And I was like, oh, they're never going to do that in the cartoon. Well, they did part of it. They, they, I cannot believe the cartoon just has her going around topless with swastikas on her boobs. That's insane for an animated movie. Again, I know. I like how they capture the visual style. That Frank Miller was able to, you know, sketch down onto this comic book, yeah, and then put it onto the uh, and it put it into the animated movie. Well, it was, and that girl, that was uh, Bruno. What's her name? Whatever her name was, Bruno. Bruno. That was Joker's. Like, how funny was that? <laughs> Joker's main squeeze. You know, I'm looking at this right now, and I just, uh, I they even got the the Superman little goofy hairdo, the little the little swoop thing right, because uh, Frank Miller like, drew it in such an oddball way. Yeah, he did. And I, I just loved the inner uh, 
like the inner monologue that the characters would have like during some of the big fight scenes. Because in the cartoon, like you never really seem, I mean, other than, well, after you see Batman getting stabbed so many times by Joker or shot at, uh, yeah, it's like nothing else faces him. But in the book, like when he's doing all these, you know, action stunts, like taking on Two-Face and then taking out the mutants, it seems like his, you know, his age doesn't even bother him in the cartoon. You don't really, you don't really feel that he's in pain every time he's doing something. Yeah. Because he's 55 years old. But in the comic books, like, you read every bit of it, and you're like, damn, dude, how's this guy still standing? Especially after he gets a, a blade shoved in so many times after uh, battling the Joker. I mean, his guts are just falling yeah. out. Ugh. You know, that sequence, is, I think, is a lot longer. I don't remember the... I'm looking through the comic book right now, and you're right. It, he does not escape. He just shows him holding his guts in, and Joker's dead. Uh, and then it just fast-forwards to... Um, Oh no no never mind I wait till the next day. Uh, you know I actually yeah. really like uh, what is his name Cassidy who who's playing Robin in this one? Oh um, Carrie Kelly. Carrie Kelly she's great. She is I know I liked her as Robin and it's pretty cool how he like switched it up to be like a young teenage girl instead of like you know Dick or um, well or Jason Todd coming back in but of course as stated in the beginning Jason's dead but oh, even why, then why haven't we seen Nightwing yet I really want to see Nightwing on this big screen I love him. I know. I was kind of hoping, like, in Suicide Squad, that's who Clint Eastwood was going to be. He was Agent 23, who is secretly Nightwing. Oh, uh, Kyle Eastwood? Kyle Eastwood, yeah. I thought it was Scott Eastwood. I don't know. Eastwood has Clint Eastwood has a bunch of kids. He does. That dude <laughs> gets his dick around, that's for sure. Yeah, he did. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> shit, I'm I, hoping, I would, yeah, I would no. Clint Eastwood now. Who are we kidding? I was just like, you're ugly as shit, and you're a weirdo Republican, but you're Clint Eastwood. Go ahead, have at my butt. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! Yeah, no. Hopefully, yeah, no. I mean, jo- Joseph Gordon-Levitt would have been a great Nightwing. Yes, hell but, yes. Hey, I know. Like that's kind of well. In the Christopher Nolan movie, yeah, he his real name was Robin, but he ends up becoming the next Batman, which happens in the Battle for the Cow series by Toni Morrison. You know, I feel like the Batman comics just. I keep reading all these great reviews, and I just don't feel it anymore. I don't feel from Batman from nineteen seventy five. When Neil Adams jumped on to about, uh, you know, the the, the ba- battle for the cow was probably the last great one. What was that four or five years ago? Um, it was great, and I just don't, I don't really care for it right now. It was Scott something, Scott Snyder or something like that. It's writing for, it, and everybody's praising him, but I just, I'm so bored out of my mind with it. But there is, yeah. um, Batman. I want to say it was Batman Year Zero. I think is is a, is a is a limited series that's out right now um, in a collected form. It's the best thing I think I've read in uh, probably since Hush, which was Jim Lee's oh, wow. triumphant uh, comic book that he did with, uh, I can't remember, I think it was Jeff Johns or somebody. I can't remember who wrote that. But um, yeah. I'll, I'll find it for you. I'll find the title, and if you can go find that book, it's astonishing. The art is so good. Oh, no. I mean, Jim Lee, whenever Jim Lee and Jeff Johns get together, it's fucking magical. I mean, yeah. look what they did with Justice League. Yeah, I'm going to look I mean, up. Who wrote <clears throat> Batman Hush? Yeah, but seriously though, honestly, but when it comes to like Dark Knight Returns, like Batman's bulk, like he's 55, but he's still like ripped. A sh- he's like a gigantic. He'd look like he'd still be a strong man. Well, they like take he'd the be in like a strong man competition. The body changes a lot, and he has a build now of the way Stallone is, where he's not burning as many calories because his metabolism is as strong, so he's a little thicker. But it's like a wall of muscle instead of being truly aerodynamic. If you look. 
in the 1980s, Jim Aparo, who is my favorite Batman artist. Uh, Jim Lee was fantastic, but it's, it's I think, it, who the first significant artist for a certain character is the one that always sticks in your mind. Jim Aparo is my yeah. guy. And he, he designed Batman so aerodynamic. You know, it, it would make sense because he has that little rope thing, the little, little battering. Not battering, what do you call it? Bat, uh, here's the dumb pills have obviously kicked in. Back cup, back couplings, back grappling hook. Grappling hook, thank you. You know, the one where he climbs all the walls and swings around, you know, buildings and stuff like that. Um, if a person was to be swinging around all the time like that, his body, every single piece of him would be just so well cut. Because you got to balance, you have all the strength to swing yourself around. And uh, he designed them to look like that. And I thought what Jim Apero, who also kind of took a little bit from Neil Adams, those guys really designed Batman to look like, if this was possible, if this is a real thing, this is what he would look like. Frank Miller designs him as a guy who has been retired, who doesn't work out as much, who doesn't, you know, has been swinging around for years. He's obviously age has kicked in. Yeah, of course. Yeah, he is. He's just uh, retired and still like, you know, living on the edge, though. He's still like, push, you know, at the beginning of the book, you know, it's him driving in a driving in a race car, his own race car, just going as fast as possible, breaking the limits. He's still trying to find some thrill because he just can't get over you know, I think it's just hitting hitting him at the stage where he could not get over retiring as Batman. Yeah, well, it's forced. It, I mean, you even see that right? they were outlawed, kind of like the way it is in Watchmen. They were outlawed. Yeah. It, oh shit. Huh. Do you think that? Do you think Frank Miller kind of took that like outlawed uh, concept and then brought it into Dark Knight Returns? It was almost True. simultaneously. I and think, also, I think Watchmen and Dark Knight were exactly the same time. Yeah, Watchmen came out in '85, though. But oh, okay. Dark Knight Returns came out a year later. However. When it came to uh, Dark Knight Returns, you see, like, throughout the book that no matter what, Bruce Wayne cannot escape being Batman. Like, when he's, like, after he gets his ass kicked by the mutant leader, he goes into the cave, you know, and then you hear, and then you see him say, you know, I know you're there. You're not finished with me. You'll never be finished with me. And then he sees that vision of the giant bat coming at him. I know. It's, 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 I mean, it's, I think it is a personification of Bruce Wayne, like, not being Bruce Wayne anymore. He has never been Bruce Wayne since his parents were killed. He is the Batman. He cannot pretend to be Bruce Wayne anymore. <clears throat> oh, by the way, uh, Batman Hush was not written by Jeff Jones. It was written by Jeff Loeb, um, fantastic writer, oh. who, some people know this, some people don't, uh, created Teen Wolf and Commando. Uh, yeah, that was he wrote those and then slowly worked <laughs> his way towards comic That's books. awesome. He's got, he created two big hit movies. Yeah. Oh, hey, man. I'm sure the comic book world could could probably just... I'll have to look up Hush. I know it's like a huge series. I know a lot of my friends who are big Batman fans and have read book, the comics. They tell me to read that series. I'll have to look it up whenever I get the chance. Yeah, it's phenomenal. And then the Red Hood. <clears throat> I think the Return of the Red Hood is the sequel to this, and it's really good too. Uh, oh. I I will say um, I'm trying to think of something else around this time that would have been. Oh, uh, Kingdom Come um, is another one of those in the future, like after their glory years. I don't know if you've ever read that. Um, I have actually. It's really. Oh good. my god! Alex I Ross. thought Woo. the artwork. Yes, that's who it was. Alex Ross. Oh my god, his artwork's just. Oh man, it's. I. It's just insane that they're actually just drawings. I mean, he just capture. I mean, he captures these. Uh, perform. He, the thing is, he get like you know models like to pose as the. Uh, fantastic. It's, yeah, I've only read it once, so it was very briefly though. Yeah, that's one we should discuss down the line. See if we can find Kingdom Come because it's phenomenal and it's it fits in line with Dark Knight Returns. It's it's 
like the flip side of it. It's more about hope. And yes, there's dire circumstances. Some people, their future has gone horribly wrong. But it's it's the flip side. It's uh, it's not so much social commentary. It's not like the dark road down into hell that Dark Knight Returns takes. Um, yeah. But still, you cannot deny that Dark Knight Returns is really responsible for kicking Batman into uh, the modern age. You know, no more goofy adventures for a while. You know, it's just it was necessary. The '80s was a period where these new guys were coming in and taking these old characters and changing things up. Yeah, I know. And then Frank Miller decides to do something with Batman to bring this character back to his former glory. And that's exactly what it did. And lo- then, of course, 1989 comes around. We see the, you know, Michael Keaton uh, and Jack Nicholson Batman film by Tim Burton, which, oh, my God, is still, to me, visually mind-blowing. I love looking at it. I actually saw it on the big screen uh, a couple weeks ago because, you know, again, at the uh, movie theater I go to, they always play, like, classics like every Sunday and Wednesday, every other week, you know, they had like Gone of the Wind, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, they had, um, you know, Animal House, and they had a 1989 version of Batman. I mean, it, it felt so refreshing and different to see it on the big screen. I haven't seen that on the big screen since I was a year old. Huh, you probably have no memory of it. No, no, but it all came back to me. I mean, it was still, it was still great to like, you know, still being able to laugh at like Jack Nicholson's uh, joke. Um, you know, performance, you know, especially all the dumb little jokes and then seeing how psychotic he is. It was great. I mean, again, it was just so fun to watch. Never, never rub a man, another man's rhubarb. I can't, I hate it when I have it in my head and I can't say it. I want to erase that whole thing. Never, never rub another rhubarb. man's rhubarb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Do you ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? Okay. So there's a part of the that. movie where I swear, <laughs> uh, for years I thought it was Eye of the Mind Makes a Moogie. And I was like, Mind, mind a Moogie? What is he talking about? Well, he's insane. It must be gibberish. <laughs> and then later, I was watching it on the Blu-ray, and I was like, wait. Oh, I have the mind to make some movie. Oh, well, that's not as much fun, because I used to wander around just going, I have the mind to make some movie. <laughs> I'm of a mind to make some movie. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, God. The, the carnival scene at the end when his balloons are gone, he's like all shocked and horrified. And then he screams, he stole my balloons! <laughs> Those things. There's... And then he's like, Bob? Gun. We should do an episode. Then he kills Bob. Oh, Bob! I love Bob. I can't believe he killed Bob. I know. Like, that's like honestly, to caption that moment, after, like where he kill, where he kills Bob and says, "I'm gonna need a minute or two alone, boys." You have to caption that worst birthday ever. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had a toy of Bob. I did too. We all. I mean, I had all of them. I had Joker. I had Batman. I had Bob, and he was that big of a character. That he got his own action figure. How awesome <laughs> Tracy for uh, like, Tracy Walter. <coughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Like, dude, you're immortalized, Tracy Walters. What are we going to do for our next episode? What other movies do I have Ooh, in here? Let me look. I think I have Flashpoint. Yes, Flashpoint's a great series. I never read the books, but I did. But I, I love the animated movie. I've been trying to look up the... Uh, no, I only have Justice League War. Besides Batman, I only have that. So we can't do that. But, um, hey, you want to do an episode where we discuss the whole, in, like every Batman movie? I'll send you all through Violet at Flashpoint. I know I have it. And Killing Joke. I, uh, also, there should also be Son of Batman. I don't have that one either. Where, where, you have these? Sorry, but me and Jake yeah, share I have, the same Alter Violet account. <laughs> I could have sworn I sent you Killing Joke recently. I you have that. As soon as I bought it. Uh, there's Son of Batman, which no, is I don't have that. pretty awesome. Oh, damn. I'll have to send you that one. And... Then I have the Flashpoint Paradox. I, I thought I had yeah, that. Yeah, Justice I League. I thought I had that. No. Oh, well, damn. I'll have to send it to you then. 
Yeah, I just have Justice League also, 4. Mm, okay. So, okay. So, I have two more to send you. Okay. By the way, one thing I did want to point out. Yeah, in Dark Knight Returns, Batman does actually kill. Like, you know, when that little hostage situation where he breaks through the wall? Yes. And then holds the gun? He actually shoots down the one holding the gun. But in the cartoon, he just disarms her. Oh, man. It, I showed in Dark Knight Returns, Batman, like, pretty much after the death of Jason Todd, he's been pushed to the edge. Like, where killing is just, like, if he has to do it, he'll do it. And then, honestly, when people complained about that during Batman versus Superman, I'm like, okay, where was this complaint in 1989? How many people did he kill when he blew up Axis Chemicals and oh, during shit. Joker's parade? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just, uh, to me, it's just too funny. I'm like, okay, a little hypocritical much? Plus... I have to say this about Batman vs. Superman. I was really pissed that someone at work goes, oh yeah, and Superman dies. You son of a bitch! It's been out for two days! <laughs> Motherfucker! I know, but did, didn't that just like shock you, though, when you saw that part? You're like, fuck! I didn't expect, I did not it to expect go down that. Like that. Yeah, that was a surprise. Yeah. Plus, I, I think it was also kind of a good standpoint, because without Superman, the Justice League is going to be vulnerable. I mean, yeah, they've got Aquaman, who's almost as strong as Superman. You've also got the Flash and Cyborg and Wonder Woman and Batman. Well, what about Shazam? Well, not Shazam, Captain Marvel. Eventually, he's going to be introduced, and he could be a good replacement for Superman for the powerhouse part. Yeah, you're right. You know, he could he could come in at the right time, but he's he's not going to get his own movie till 2019. Nah, I gotta wait forever, never. I'm sorry. <laughs> By the time that comes around, Dwayne Johnson will be dead. It's just like I'm 800 years old. I've lived out you know the entire universe. I've outlasted, but they still won't greenlight this movie. Just like Black Adam. Hey, it's perfect for his character. Because Black Adam's been around for thousands of years. <laughs> All right, Jacob. What? So besides doing the Batman I still stuff, get to introduce Green Lantern. I hate this. Okay, everybody, uh, if you haven't noticed, in the last five minutes, Jacob's almost cut out completely and Italy delayed. So sorry. It's okay. It happens. Sometimes we're completely on the same spot, and then all of a sudden I'm just delayed. I don't know why. I, um, I hate it when this happens in a show. Um, do you want to do the New Warriors, that book I sent you? The very first uh, like uh, arc of the New Warriors, the first six issues. You want to discuss that in the next episode? Yes, once I once I finish reading it, for sure. Okay, so also, <clears throat> yes. what I did want to mention about Batman vs. Superman, you know the scene where he's uh, he's about to kill Superman? He's like, you weren't, not, you weren't even a god. You're not even a man. That just clearly shows that Batman, no matter what, always demonized him and hated him and despised him, considering, you know, the events of Man of Steel and how powerful he is. He, yeah. you know, feared of what he could become. And, of course, there was also the dream sequence, which fueled that even more. And that dream sequence, I think, was actually the future of what happened without the Justice League. But Flash went back in time too far back and just shifted everything. Because whenever he did travel back in time, people would have, like, different memories and uh, different and, uh, visions of what actually happened in that possible future. That or it could be someone else <clears throat> messing so, with him. It could be someone else messing with him, planting these visions in his head. There's some crazy... Psycho pirate. You know, stuff like that. There's violent villains out there who can manipulate minds and, you know, give you dreams and visions. Yeah, but then there was, like, Flash coming back to him, telling him, you know, listen to me now. You know, Lois Lane's a key. Fear him. You were right about him. Like, wait, was he right about Superman or was he right about possibly Darkseid or Steppenwolf? Yeah. So we'll see what happens and also, in the next chapter. True. One more thing I wanted to add, uh, mention earlier regarding the casting of Batman, you know, an older Batman. They were originally going to go with Jeffrey Dean Morgan, the one who plays uh, Thomas, you know, Thomas Wayne, his dad, at the beginning of Batman vs. Superman. Correct. Yeah. So what I'm thinking, yeah, so what I'm thinking is, you know, casting someone like him, him being like, you know, a well-known name, along with the woman who plays uh, Martha, 
she was they, she played a uh, Maggie in Walking Dead. So I think what they're gonna do with the possible Flash movie is the Flashpoint paradox. Jeffrey Dean Morgan's gonna be yeah, he's gonna be Thomas Wayne Batman, and she's gonna be Joker. Oh my god, that'd be so awesome to watch. You know, it was actually Josh Brolin they went to first. They offered it to him, and and he didn't agree on certain points in the movie, so they had to move on to someone else. And it took forever after that to get Ben Affleck. They went to Josh first. Oh wow! But wasn't he doing uh, wasn't he doing like other movies at the time? Well, yeah, a lot of people are doing movies at the same time. But when you want somebody for a big role like that, you want to tie him down. Uh, you know, they're going to go to Josh Brolin, but Josh didn't want to sign on for so many movies, especially if he hated being in the costume, so he rejected them. Can you believe that? That's crazy. That's crazy. I know. I mean, well, especially if they're going to be in the big metal costume, that's a pain in the ass. Yeah. But the one that they made for Ben Affleck, the regular, you know, Dark Knight Returns looking costume, that one was actually kind of, like, made out of, like, you know, particular cloth fibers and whatnot. So instead of having to build the suit like they did in the old movies, like from... Batman 89 to Dark Knight Rises. <clears throat> they actually went with something <clears throat> that would still look sturdy and, and like, uh, again, have a tribute to the old costumes, but without it being a leotard. Yes, yeah, so that's kind of a <laughs> retro feel to it. Hey, everybody, uh, I, we're kind of getting to the end of this episode here. Um, before we go, I want you to check us out on Facebook under Back in Tunes. Now, yes, it says Back in Tunes, it's animation, but we have added comic books to our topic of discussion i think cartoons and comics go well together especially since there's so many cartoon adaptations of comic books and vice versa so you're going to find episodes of comics on infinite earth on the back in tunes page which is our regular show if you like cartoons me and jacob destroy not destroy that was the wrong word we uh discuss and do like a history lesson and kind of a commentary on pretty much every single piece of animation is the plan so right now we're on our, our like 105th episode so if you like animation come and check that out until then, uh, I guess check out reruns, and we'll come back in a few weeks maybe to do the New Warriors episode. For sure. Oh, and hopefully we'll get to uh, death, uh, the Death and Return of Superman series. Yeah, I got to Honestly. I, don't, I have to go buy a copy because yeah. we don't have it around here. Yeah, and I do want to discuss the Superman perspective uh, before we get to that episode too. Uh, you, you cut out. What would you say? A back to Superman. I do want to discuss the Superman uh, perspective perspective of batman versus this is fucking ridiculous everybody uh i apologize it, it makes no sense why i keep um okay uh so we'll try that and maybe sometime we'll discuss can you hear me now yes i can hear you now but for some reason you're coherent and all of a sudden you just lose are you moving around like away from a router or something because i'm standing well i was pacing for a minute but now i'm just standing perfectly still oh, okay um, are we good I would love okay. <laughs> to revisit Superman Returns. Um, it's been a while since I've seen it. I know we all kind of shit on it when it came out, but I kind of want to revisit it and see if I still dislike it as much as I do. Yeah, I, I honestly, I still enjoyed it so much. I mean, me being a kid growing up with Christopher Reeve's Superman and hearing that theme again and it being a tribute to him, I thought it was, I thought it was wonderful. I thought it was still enjoyable to watch. Plus... When we get to the uh, Death and Return series of Superman, the comic books, mm-hmm. I guess the Superman perspective from Batman versus Superman. I thought there were a lot of good points in the Ultimate Edition. Okay, I don't know what just happened, everybody. Right? Uh, we're, I'm, I feel like I'm just dragging this out. So, um, everybody, uh, have a good night and be excellent to each other. Jacob, if you can hear me, send them out. All right. Namaste and good luck, everybody.